Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from Consequence of Sound. My name is Rockin' Randall Colburn, and today we wrap up a 10-part series. No, not 10, because uh, the first three we did it's all in seven one. Part. Seven-part series mm-hmm. on uh, Castle Rock, Hulu's Castle Rock. It's a show we've been talking about, and we're here to talk about the finale. Who's sitting across from me, and how are you? This is Michael Molly Strand Rothman, and I'm here. Now, how are you, <laughs> I am actually in the other world. I'm I'm actually in um, the Bill Skarsgård world that I, oh. I prefer better. So. Things things were happier over there. They are happier, and uh, my favorite character uh, of this series is still alive over there. So you know, good to know. Yeah. Uh, and who's sitting to my right? And how are you? This is Mackenzie, the Schisma Gerber. Ah, and, Schisma uh, boy. I'm um, uh, walking that line, living on the edge uh, of the Schisma. Uh, I'm doing good, and. I'm excited to talk about the final episode here and uh, and our overall thoughts of the final series, of the whole series, I guess, in that sense. Pretty cool. Um, <laughs> pretty cool. Pretty cool. <laughs> Thanks, Randall. I'm glad you think uh, cool. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you guys to please leave us a review on iTunes. We're down to 4.5 because somebody didn't like uh, an episode where we talked about the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones for a few minutes. Yeah, they also didn't like that we didn't know some of the names, but hey, look, there's a lot oh, yeah. of names in Oh Castle yeah, Rock. I want to personally apologize to the one or two people that were mad that I forgot the name of the blind guy, and I also blinked during the moment in episode 8 where they showed that he was dead. I'm sorry. I have to watch this stuff. I'll, I have to watch a lot of this kind of stuff. So Wait, please you forgive forgot, me. You forgot you his name? He was only in like five minutes of the I whole know. show. I know. People are talking about him like he's an established mm. king character. But I guess we are covering this pretty in depth. So yeah, shame well, on you, Randall. I know. It's my yeah, fault. Yeah, you should have done a little bit better there. But, you know, um, <laughs> what, are you guys okay. going to give me a one-star review? Hey, look. His name was Odin Branch. He's played by Charles Jones. And his best friend was named Willie and played by Roy Culkin. And as you'll learn in this episode, they mean nothing. So, I know. I was well, you that's know, I was, something to discuss. I will say if we if we are reviewing Randall later on, I, mm-hmm. I probably would give you like a, a one or two. What a one fuck? or two? That's harsh. No, I would give him at least like a 3.5. Why aren't I getting fives? You want fives? I fives. want five noses. I don't think so. All right. I forgot the guy's name. Give me a 4.5. What would you give? What what, uh, what bright white Pennywise clown nose would you give like Justin? I'd give Justin five. I'd give all of you five. You give all of us five? Yeah. That means your opinion doesn't really I'd give myself like a fucking 2.5. Well, that's because you hate yourself. I do hate myself, but that's part of the Jewish way. Um, um, Mac, well, what did you? What would you give your brother Justin, just so we keep on the record here? Oh, I'd give him a five. Oh, okay. Oh, come on. You just uh, awkwardly looked over to the wall uh, when you said that. Um... I think about things. Um, I wonder if we're getting too much on a tangent. I don't want to go. I know. I don't want to go down to this point back now. on track. Uh, after after you know what, a hundred episodes. I'm sorry we we spent two <laughs> minutes talking about the mighty mighty Boston. Hey, look, I love the mighty mighty Boston. I do it, too. You know, hey, for my money's worth, if I'm going out to a summer festival, I want to see some ska. I do too. You know, I'm not a big uh, Boston's fan. You're not um, a boss head. No, nah, I'm not a boss head at all. Uh, I, I am a fan. 
of Stephen King. Oh yeah, well he gets us back on the path. Hey, see, I'm here. I'm here. To ra- I'm here to wrangle you two jokers. Path of the rat. Path of the rat. Path of the rat. Yeah, I guess. I guess it was the one where it was just you and me that we yeah. we went down maybe a few too many paths. Yeah, we went, we went down. You guys got lost. You guys got lost on the myriad of beams. Well, we started talking about the grease beam. Um, <laughs> the grease beam. <laughs> I forgot how much we talked. Yeah, about we talked about grease. grease for a while. It was a fun time. We were all having a great time. Um, but that's why you well, listen we're, to us. We're, we're having on, a good time. Also, guess what? If we mention Trump, we're sorry. Somebody was like, "Was like podcast is pretty good, but sorry, conservatives won." <laughs> conservatives won. Is that what they said? Yeah, they gave us a one, but they said they liked the pod. They were just mad because we said a bad word about Trump. Well, well I'm glad, you know, they're, letting, I'm glad they're letting their political views influence their ratings on our our Stephen King podcast. It's crazy. Well, hey, to, the, to that guy's credit, you know, my life is going pretty good right now, and honestly, the only way it could get better is if I woke up and I found out that Donald Trump had a heart attack from McDonald's. I just got to say that, you know. Let's just uh, put that on the podcast. So. That's pretty wild. Just to counterbalance that, I'm going to say Trump's doing great work for the country. Oh, he's doing wonderful work. You and, know, uh, I got to say, this is, uh, this, we're not sponsored by McDonald's, but I just want to throw it out there. McDonald's, you are doing an amazing job in supplying our commander-in-chief with some of your healthy foods. Please continue <laughs> to see, send him over to 1600. I would absolutely love to make sure that he gets a, you know, a Big Mac every day, yeah. every hour. So. Well, before we, before we do um, get serious about uh, the old Castle Rock, uh, I just Guys, I, I do love McDonald's fries. Oh, McDonald's fries are actually pretty good. They're, they're, look, they're salty and uh, pretty tasty. Let, let's say that let's say that Castle Rock had um, you know a tie-in with McDonald's this summer, um, and they made like you know like a cups or a Happy Meal or some sorts. What would be the cups, and then what would be in the Happy Meal uh, toys? Oh, uh, if we um, had a, a Stephen King related uh, the you know, cup. Thing. It would be like those Batman Forever cups, love with, those with, cups. with like the etched ice looking uh, <laughs> outside, and it would just be um, Jackie Torrance <laughs> <laughs> at her computer, and she's writing her the next yeah, yeah, great yeah, American yeah. novel. Um, uh, one last thing before we hop in, Mac. What are your thoughts on Donald Trump? <laughs> um, who is that? He's the president. Do you think he's the president oh. in the world of Castle Rock as well? I. That's actually I a good think question. He's, I think he's definitely the president of the Castle Rock that um, Andre Holland's diva. <laughs> yeah, in. I would say so too. <laughs> Whereas uh, we've got Obama in the other one. I hope so. Uh, it's probably like The Rock. The Rock. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Uh, right. We can cut all that later. Um, or not. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. We'll, we'll, we'll debate. Uh, so before we hop into the episode, we're going to talk a little bit about some news. Not too much here, but... Not much at all. A couple notable things. Stephen King has a story in... A short story collection that was put together by King and Bev Vincent, who is a longtime collaborator. It features new stories from Joe Hill and a few others, and uh, as well as some older stories by Roald Dahl and Ray Bradbury, and a new story from King, and it's uh, called Flight or Fright. It's all stories that take place in airplanes. And uh, Entertainment Weekly, who has a pretty chummy relationship with King. Very chummy. The kind that I wish we had. Well, he used to write there, so. Yeah, Yeah, well, he also used to be on the pod, so. In the early episodes. Yeah, he was on our oh, he was on our right. Salem's Lot episode. He was. Well, if, he you, was haven't, really if a, you haven't heard uh, heard that, you should go back and listen to all of our older episodes because King makes appearances. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah. We had King on the early episodes, <laughs> and then he just said he got busy. He was busy, <laughs> and he was kind of not really into talking about anything outside of his '70s works, which leads me to believe that he's only proud of his uh, his works up to Dead Zone. So. Yeah, once we hit uh, Firestarter, he was out. He's done. Um, no, wait, it sounds like news about too. this series because we talked. Uh, about he this has before. a story called "The Turbulence Expert," and Entertainment Weekly had a little audio snippet of him reading. 
from that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only about a minute. It's fine. I mean, there's not much to learn there. Uh, there's a character called the facilitator. And um, yeah, give it a listen if you want. It's over at Entertainment Weekly. And I think the book is out. They're really pushing the audio book of it. They got like a lot of, uh, you know, not huge stars, but stars that um, I'm at least impressed with because I love uh, Norbert Leo Butts. Great actor. Funny oh, nice. name. Yeah. Corey Stoll, villain of Ant-Man 1, also reads the story. Love Stoll. And of course, uh, David Morse, who did the audio book recording of Revival and said the word nubbins in a way that has not been able to, I've been able to scrub away from my mind yet. <laughs> you know, Morris is great and he's, he, he's a king regular. He now, is, he is. Which is awesome. He's a king so reg, but uh, I never need to hear him imitate a 13-year-old girl's voice again. No? It's very unsettling. <laughs> I'm very interested in hearing this now. Uh, yeah, give the Revival audiobook a listen and hear him say the word sweater nubbins. Sweater nubbins. It's really unfortunate. Other bit of news. I actually wrote this up on uh, consequencesound.net. Maybe you, should, maybe you should head over to the site. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Father John Misty, controversial artist. I'm a big fan. Uh, he wrote... <laughs> He wrote a uh, song, or he covered a song that was used in a teaser for Castle Rock that showed all the different characters. It was uh, released right before episode nine, and it, it featured uh, Henry, Jackie, uh, the kid, Sissy, all of the, all the big names, and uh, they all kind of just you know sat there while the song played, and then all broke the fourth wall, looked at the camera, and the song is actually a cover of the 1971 song by an artist named Link Ray, who I'm unfamiliar with. Uh, a song called "Fallen Rain," and it's pretty good. It's a short. It's a short cover, but I really dug it. It was uh, produced cool. by Haxon Cloak, the English uh, producer, and who actually does usually a lot of like creepy, weird stuff. But this is more of a uh, folk song that's got kind of some I don't know spacey, spooky kind of effects on it. Huh. But uh, I actually I noted when I wrote up the piece, the lyrics are actually very, very resonant um, to the themes of Castle Rock. Uh, some of the Lyrics that I pulled out were like, uh, my mind is like a spring and a clock that won't unwind. I can't see, can't think, can't feel. I'm out of time. Oh, very interesting. How about that? Two ways you can read into that. Yeah. And then uh, he also, the song also talks about a sound that's going through my brain, which made me think of hmm. the, the the voice of God. Yeah. So it looks like he's a fan. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, was, uh, he wrote, he was a fan in 1971. Father John Misty, I'm a big fan. What do you guys think? I think he's great. Uh, I I, th- I thought he was annoying when I saw him at Lollapalooza a few years ago, but um, I don't know. He's kind of won me over. See, I, I prefer him as a live entertainer than an actual recorded musician. At I'm point. the exact opposite. It's so funny. Really? Yeah. I've heard he's his so stuff. Full of shit. I heard his stuff's really long. I haven't really listened to him. I give him a yeah. real shot, so I can't really say, but I've heard his stuff is like really good, Yeah, but it's, it's like really long tracks. You love that LA cocaine shit, though. Me? Yeah. I love that, that stage persona. I like my rock stars to be assholes. That's absurd. It's not. I like mine to be more interesting. I like mine to be nice people. I just want to shake their hand. Why don't you go watch Pine Grove uh, on stage? (laughs) Hey, you must love Third Eye Blind, huh? Yeah, I do love Third Eye Blind. I do love Three B. Well, that guy's a giant douche nozzle. Oh, yeah. yeah well, not, not on stage. He just wears hoodies and kind of looks <laughs> Baggy shit. He, he basically... Hey, look, I, remember, I love Jenkins. I, I'll, I will stand up for, for Steven any day. <laughs> I remember last year. No, it was the two, maybe it was the year before that. No, I think it was last year when um, they had Steven Jenkins brought up like a, a person in a wheelchair. That was two years ago. And it was I was two years you. ago? Okay. Yeah. And we just kept joking and saying that like, they're like, like you like how I used you there? Like, yeah. You know, I used... <laughs> I, you know, I, I used your uh, disability to my advantage. He also we totally like joking. Like he also totally ignored the person. Like yes. they brought him on stage. They sang the chorus to "Semi Charm Life," and then he just walked out. Yeah, and he didn't even really like shake weird. their hand or anything. It was really weird. Hmm. It was kind of awful. Yeah, and, um, then, and then his interview. Well, why, the second what's interview with, with that? If you like asshole rock stars, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, the thing is, I like that, but it's also there's also this sort of like disingenuous nature to him that he he's trying to. It's like phony. 
I don't like phonies. I like people that own up to the fact that they're assholes. Like he yeah. doesn't really do like that. The Eagles, like the Eagles. Yes. Well, bring bring this back to um, to, to King though. I I would be genuinely interested if um, if the next season of Castle Rock was in Jerusalem's lot and Stephen Jenkins did some vampire stuff because Blue that album is full of vampire references. Well, that well, was a very deep and convoluted way to tie back into Stephen <laughs> King, but I really did like already, that. I did really like. We that. already know what the second season is going to be. So. No, we don't. No, we don't. So let's we don't move know. on. And it next, could very well, we'll get, still be. We'll get to that later. Next piece of news, Mike, you saw a little movie called The Nun, and it's written by Gary Doberman, who co-wrote, in, uh, i.e. probably added in the worst parts of the first It movie uh, into Carrie Fukunaga's solid script, and he's pretty much writing the entirety of it, chapter two. Can't wait. And you, so you saw The Nun, and you were really excited about it. Yeah, I was so, really excited. Because... So talk to us about the script by Gary Doberman. Oh, God. Well, first off, uh, spoiler alert, but The Nun is one of the worst horror films I've seen <laughs> of this decade. And there have been some really shitty horror movies out there, but this is just... Now, this just isn't this isn't just you, right? This being... Oh, it's panned all panned. That was the thing, was I didn't fully trust you at first because I'm like... I've se- I <laughs> well, like you, you liked some of those I like some of the, the studio horror movies. Like, I thought Annabelle Creation was really solid. I didn't and, see um, that. Some of the... And, I, like, and, I, like, I love The Conjuring 1. Yeah. And I, Do- like, I like parts of Conjuring 2. Yeah. Oh, God, that movie's parts. awful. No, no, it's awful. But there are parts of it that are still at least genuinely like kind of creepy this is just so atrociously boring that's what i've heard from everybody. and, and okay, i know okay. and I, I know it's unfair to say it, it's lazy to say something is boring in pop culture because that just comes off as just you can't think of anything else to say right. but this movie look i go to i see films all the time at screenings and stuff and i will hold in my bladder as much as possible to stay in that theater. And this one, halfway through, there was like pivotal scenes happening. I was just like, you know what? I, I don't even care. I'm going to yeah. go to the bathroom. I have to go to the bathroom. But will you, will you and agree that Valak is a really cool name? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but let me just say that uh, <laughs> this movie is making so much money. It's making a lot of money because we live in a stupid country. That's yeah. why. Well, and, I just think well, that people are really desperate for horror right now. Yeah. yeah. And... I think I think studios like you can just release utter garbage horror right now and yeah. it's going to make a lot of money if it's marketed right. I mean but that's the, the thing. The thing is they must have spent a lot of money on this because this looks like an old school slick it like it looks like a slick update of like kind of the old style universal monster movies. Yeah. And there's no depth to any of the characters. There is just no conscious or you know there's no conscionable understanding of what this is this demon supposed to be other than just connecting dots but isn't there like well, a whole that's backstory the, that's really lame it's, well, it's a really lame backstory it's it's it commits the worst sin that hollywood still just doesn't fucking get in that in which i say in my review is like you can't turn on the lights in a horror movie yeah like and you keep they keep fucking doing that with these prequels they're yeah. like well let's just explain everything and honestly you know as much as I thought the nun sections, because the nun starts becoming like a Bond villain by the end of the, the Conjuring <laughs> 2, like basically creates this whole systematic, uh, systemic, uh, convoluted series of ploys and exploits to get Vera Farmiga at the end. But that, so already the nun was pretty much destroyed by the end of Conjuring 2 because you're like, is this, yeah. this all knowing thing? Well, she so creates the- this. <laughs> Fake, fake entity that the, the what was it the thin man or whatever yes. that was just and to to throw them off the scent but they didn't know that they not existed so they wouldn't yeah. have known to no. look for that if no. they didn't know that no. it's, it's, it's so convoluted and awful and yeah. you know what uh it's this movie is the same and it's it's so hollow and there's just there all the scares are really lame um demian bashir who i loved in uh the, the bridge, the bridge. love him and so i think good, he's man. one of the most underrated hollywood yeah, actors he's out really there good, yeah 
he's the only enjoyable him and Tessa Farmega who like try their hardest to fucking make this like somewhat entertaining but it's just it's just not enough and I was so bored are you attributing like most of this to the script because Doberman because that's what we're really concerned about because he's going to be writing the entirety of the the screenplay is the majority of it just like like loud shrieky jump scares it's a lot of that and it's a lot of and it's just a lot of like so lazy cartoonish sort of tonally indifferent uh, like scares and sequences. And then there's also these like ridiculous explanations of like, well, this is what actually really happened in this scene. And then you go back and they do flashbacks on creepy scenes that happened before. And you find other things that, that are like twist. More nuns. It's just, Oh, it's awful. It's awful. And so watching this movie and knowing that he's the pivotal writer (laughs) for (laughs) chapter two makes me very nervous. And then seeing his quotes because he did an interview with Slash Film, um, our friends over at Slash Film, and he basically talks about the challenges of doing this script, but these challenges are the dumbest challenges. Well, what does he say? No, because so for one thing, the Nun script is a wholly original script, right? Like it's not based part, yeah. on anything, no, and no. except for the maybe some of the little no, lore created in Conjuring too. <laughs> yes, yeah. But this is now. This is obviously it's a, generally an adaptation of Stephen King's already written giant novel. So yes. it's got something going for it more than the nun. Now, what are some of the quotes that he said? Well, about here's the what he challenges says, he goes, of writing this. They go, "What are some scenes from the second half of it that you couldn't wait to write and see in the movie?" And Doberman says, like I said with the first one, it's really this embarrassment of riches. It was trying to do your best job of taking what Stephen King wrote so beautifully all those years ago and try to translate it to the script page. Oh, is that what writers do? Wow. Oh, wow. For me, it was... Thank God, we're so awful over today. For me, it was just really fun to be able to revisit these characters and see what they're up to 27 27 years later. This is all PR bullshit. There was There was a challenge trying to get all those characters' introductions, and here's where we are so far, which is fun to tackle. How can we find an elegant solution to introduce this many characters again to the audience. Well, here's an idea, Doberman. Why don't you just go by the book? The just, book has literally everything there for you. It sounds, like, it also, honestly though, I know, I mean, yes, you're right. It like, it's already written. <laughs> it's a great re-entry to all uh-huh. these characters. Uh, it does sound like it's a bit of a, um, I've said this to every single person that's yes. come by. Like, I yeah. can't really talk about the movie or details. Yeah, so that's, here's Here's clear. my blanket answer kind yeah. of thing. So, as much as we're harping on it, and I'm sure the nun script is not good, and that movie's not good, but you know we're we're taking with a grain of salt. <laughs> we are. And, and, I'm just but saying, the though, is, if this is the best he can come up with, like obviously he <laughs> oh, can't geez. talk about anything for whatever reason. But he's literally saying the challenge is introducing characters. Yeah. Like I'm like, what? That is got to be the easiest part of doing that movie. It's I'm just like baffled. You literally this do interview. portraits. Yeah, you literally do portraits of each character, and yeah. then you string them together. At the, it's at so the easy. It's the easiest thing you could possibly do as a writer. And I'm just playing devil's advocate. But if he say if he is you know, saying I, I, that, I gotta say, are you uh, are you uh, haunted? No, but and, I, I don't. Want, I mean, but we've been really negative about everything going going so far that. And I'm just saying, you don't even like it, I, chapter one compared to all of us. So you know, right? So take this with a grain of salt. That is true. I I, I think if he's saying it was a challenge to update it, then sure, because a lot of the He's a lot of the stuff that. that they've been doing, <laughs> right. a lot of the stuff that they because I think having just finished the book, there's a lot of things that I'm like, oh, I would love to see that. But like 
they didn't necessarily do that in the first in, in chapter one. So I'm I don't think you know like I don't know what their professions are all going to be. Maybe they're going to be slightly different to make it more current, which would inform possibly a lot of things about you know Richie how will be they a YouTube how host. They, but you no, know, seriously though, but like how they update certain scares and things like that, and and, and I, I can see that being daunting maybe, but. Uh, like Randall said, he doesn't think that that's what's Look, I, I, I absolutely respect that devil's advocate position. Having sat through 96 minutes of The Nun, which is somehow manages to bend the will of time and make it feel as if it's three hours and 35 minutes. Mind you, I was having an allergic uh, reaction and the person behind me was being the most loud, obnoxious person in the world. Having said that, this movie is still awful and leads doesn't that give me any confidence why did you not have me review that i review all those movies because i didn't want to spend the money on it for, no no, just, <laughs> no no no, oh, no, no, no oh, because i needed to juggle around the, the the budget a little bit and i haven't been able to do reviews and instead of going to see my number one film that i was anticipating this this year which is the, the old man, man and the gun, gun uh i decided that i couldn't make that screening and had to get the 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 nun which was just awful but either way his look this guy's resume is awful um, Annabelle Creation. You said you like that one. I like it. Okay. I stand by it. Well, he's also you know yeah, the it. only other one that I could possibly like say that is interesting on here on his resume was it. And you had Chase Palmer and Kerry Fukunaga that did the majority of that script. So, am I worried about this movie? Absolutely, because I think the Nun is just even from a sequencing standpoint, it is a mess. And even from just introducing the characters early on, which is what he's talking about with, with it chapter two, where you have seven, seven characters um, and more. <laughs> and the fact that he couldn't even do like two for the nun is yeah, pretty goddamn. But again, and, and I, and I agree with you, but again, there is a source material to draw from. So you'd have, I, I just feel like when you are, adapting something as a screenplay you have to and and, and something like it mm-hmm. you have to try really hard to fuck some of this up yeah you know what i mean so i i think it's going to be very clear uh it it's going to be very clear whether or not it's it's not the source material so it's gonna be very clear if it doesn't translate very well True, you know but what's really going to be important for this is that look unlike the there's a lot of there are a lot of variables that he has to take into consideration that's going to require a very strong writer to finesse this one it's not in the 80s so you're going to have this like proliferation of like technology that you're going to have which is going right. to change the story big time and that's something that's going to require a writer to dutifully weave through that yeah i hope you don't focus too much on technology i don't either but there are a lot of sequences in that original book that would be totally destroyed with with well, I think they're definitely going to update a lot of those. I hope Pennywise haunts sure. a cell phone. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> uh, he's got his own app. You know? It's like, get the balloon Dude, app. This oh, is yeah. seriously, that's going to happen. Maybe. Hey, you know what, though? <laughs> if there was a Pennywise app, I don't know what that app would be right now. Be a sewer app. Has a fan? <laughs> I download it. I download it, too. And then it would just it's be called, updated every 27 ba- years. It's called, it's called the Baron's point. The Baron's point. <laughs> Well, either way, the, the, the most important thing that this movie is going to need and what I what ultimately saved the original one for me, because uh, I don't think Pennywise is scary at all in the, the first one, is that the kids' relationships are great in the first one. And I love their their chemistry. I love the, the humor of it. I love the horror that they genuinely face from the townspeople. And that was to credit... A lot of Fukunaga script that we saw in the original one too. So, yeah, I was gonna say because I didn't. So you guys read the original drafts yeah. of the Fukunaga script. I I did not, um, but you guys were able to tell by the time we got to the big screen 
what was in the original scripts or and what was probably Doberman's influence? I, I think that there was a lot of the the dialogue and the sort of like back and forth with the kids was I think it's a mix between the two, but well, here's the thing too: is, is if it, you know, three, what, I would say. now I don't, and I don't know about, about what the Musietti said, but like when you have kids, um, well, Musietti sometimes, wrote a lot of it too. Well, I also think though that sometimes you you put the camera on kids, and kids are going to be kids, and they're mm-hmm. able to improv and be real in a way that adults can't. Yeah, um, as great as actors as we as we have in this new film, I I think it's it's harder sometimes for people to just improvise. But when you have people there like Bill Hader. I don't know. Like maybe it will just kind of be like we put a camera on them and there was there was the scene, but there was a lot of improv going on and it made it feel more real. And I kind of hope that's the approach they take to some of this because you need to feel like these people know each other and and uh, at least at some point because I know at some point they start forgetting. If anything will save this movie, it'll be the cast. I agree. Yeah, I really do. And Muschietti. I I really do. Like, look, his direction in that first one is great. I will Aside say, from the CGI. The CGI sucks. I hate the CGI. It's the worst part Otherwise, of the movie. Otherwise, he's good. But the direction, you know, I've rewatched that movie a ton of times. And God, I got to say, it is such an upgrade from his previous works that he's done. Um, even well, like no, Obama I'm, and I'm, like, I'm genuinely, I'm, I'm excited that he's seeing this thing through and doing mm-hmm. another one. Obviously, I mean, that's that's yeah. cool. Because like, I trust his clear, eye for Stephen There's King. a clear vision there. And so I'm, I'm definitely interested in seeing what, what they do with it. Yeah. And, um and I, but I am, I don't care. You could have the greatest cast of the face of the planet. And there's a lot of movies out there that have excellent casts, but the movie's awful and it's due to the screenplay. So Doberman's got a lot to think about and um, I'm sending him positive energy because I, I really too. want this to be a good follow-up. Well, he's got a double decker uh, next year. That's going to be within a month because he's going to have this that comes out next September. What is he? And then he's also that? doing the, the original story for, are you afraid of the dark adaptation? That's going to be for Paramount. Was that ever going to be any good though? I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I, I love, liked, are you, I, hey, I love, are you afraid of the dark? I, I love, are you afraid of the dark? But I loved goosebumps. The first movie that I'm came a little out bit like, I was reading that article and he's like talking about the embrace the darker tone. I'm like, that's cool. But like, I don't like make an adult version yeah, of exactly. this. Like, like make a teen horror movie. Yeah, you know? yeah. And also, like the campiness of the Are You Afraid of the Dark is kind of what is yeah. makes it so great. Yeah, too. like it seems very like not everything needs to be dark and gritty. And that's my problem know? with you know it's interesting. Like Tim Burton, he hasn't done a lot uh, this this millennium other than Big Fish, but he did make a great comment that happened right around the time that Nolan's Batman started taking off, and he was just like. Could we, God forbid, have a superhero movie where the person just wants to fucking be a superhero? Yeah. Like, does everything have to be so dark and gritty? And this is coming from a guy that created that aesthetic for yeah. that genre. And yeah. it's just, but I agree though. Like, it doesn't have to be so dark and gritty. That's actually one of my biggest complaints nowadays with most movies and franchise pictures is that they go the dark and gritty route. I hate the Bond films now because of it. Yeah. Like, I think that they're they totally lost the heart that even the grittiest fucking Connery movies had from early on that it just gets too serious. You get too self-serious. And that's why I love the mission impossible movies oh, because they're such a good mix between being severe and being dramatic and then also just knowing how to have fun. And yeah. I really, and that's well, kind of, and not, you know, and not to get too far off track, but mission impossible. I remember reading an interview saying that because they, they, when they recognized that bond was getting gritty yeah. and like more serious and not as fun and lighthearted yeah. and adventure they were like, oh, well, then we can go that route with Mission Impossible. Yeah. And then they, then they did. Yeah. Uh, so I, I agree with you. I don't think everything needs to be so dark, gritty, dark, yeah. dark, dark, you know, because yeah. it, get, it, it gets old. And then a lot of people, you just have a lot of people trying to replicate it. Yeah. And maybe not in a as successful way as whatever the first thing was that did do well. 
Um, but even going back to it, though, like the, yeah. the thing I love about the first one is that there's a lot of heart in that movie, and you it doesn't need to be dark. Oh, no, the no, first, the, movie. The okay. first yeah. movie that that came out last yeah. year is that like there is a lot of heart in that, and some of my favorite moments of that movie have nothing to do with the scares. It's Same. literally just yeah. with the kids hanging out, seriously, and that is the strongest part. So if they can match that, and granted, it's a lot harder for the second chapter with the adults because everyone's kind of fucking miserable. But yeah, it's there's still a lot of like fun moments that you could have. Like you, if you could have those one-on-one moments, which Honestly, I did not see in anything with the nun where it just felt like next, you know, next A, B, A, B, C, you know, just getting to the next fucking narrative point. If you could be meditative with it and just allow this to breathe and let these characters kind of exist, kind of like the first one, then we're fine. But I right now where I'm at, I am going in with the lowest expectations that I did not really have with the first one. Yeah. So alas. Well, that's uh, the news. I feel like we're just <laughs> hating today. Well, I'm a little annoyed at the episode, and that might be why. I, I'm, I agree. So, so let's, uh, <laughs> let's hop in and talk about Castle Rock, episode 10. People say, it wasn't me. It was this place. Warden Lacey, Zaleski, Juniper Hill, Allen. There is something wrong with that kid. As long as I'm here, people will die. I can't stop it. Who are you? Henry! Do you hear it now? The same as you. When last we visited Castle Rock, dual Deavers. Dual Deavers. Two of them. Mm-hmm. We uh, saw the other life, uh, the alternate dimension world in which the Deaver's son did not die. And he was Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. yeah. So so in the last episode, just so you know, we were we were calling him Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid. And uh, Andre Holland's did well. I guess we're. I guess now it's just going to be Andre Holland's Deaver. <laughs> we were. How did we, we not call him kid, Billy the Kid? Priest? We were calling the other one uh, Kid Junior. Kid Junior. <laughs> kid Junior. Because well, he's small. As ha- Andre Holland's younger self. He's in, little. in the other world. I was reading a bunch so, of recaps, and it was kind of fun to watch how the various writers would uh, navigate yeah, discussing the yeah. different Deavers. It's tough. It's um, tough. so yeah. Leave uh, it to Deaver. Leave it to Deaver. So so we basically left the last episode. Uh, we saw Molly die in the woods in the, in the alternate dimension. Um, and in, I guess it's just good to note that in this alternate version where Bill Skarsgård, Billy the Kid, uh, lived and thrived, um, thrived everything, time. everyone seemed happier. Castle mm-hmm. Rock seemed better. Um, it was Molly, modern times. Yeah, Molly was Molly was uh, in a good place in her career. Um, Ruth had left. Uh, Rever- the Reverend, the Reverend living down in uh, Clearwater. Yeah, and was uh, with, Sarasota was with banging Peng- Allen with Alan Pangborn. Everyone seemed happy, yeah. and so and then everyone's miserable in the world where he did die. And Matthew Deaver actually lived long enough. Uh, yeah, to- because he was reco- he because he had. Uh, the little what is it kid junior kid junior in a cage in his basement. Mm-hmm. So and I guess the and so what we learn is that when Henry. Uh, Andre Holland's Deaver disappeared for six days. He was actually in there. a cage for years yeah. on the in the other dimension, just like, you know, what happened with right. uh, Billy the Kid. So it's very complicated stuff. And I was reading a lot of recaps trying to make sure that I fully understood what was going on. But we what was what was the very last thing we had in that episode? Well, it was Bill Skarsgård's Deaver talking to Molly uh, saying it kind of came back to them in the room yeah. mm-hmm. as if he was telling Molly of this, which all, was the this story, the ending of episode eight. And he just said, you know, like, don't, you know, do you believe me? And she said, I want to, and whatever. And, 
Or and then said, that's how this well, he starts. Said that that's he was, how this he had, one starts. He said but. that he had been wandering around this new Castle Rock for days where he had nobody knew him. You know, he had he was just lost. He couldn't get back because the thinning closed. And then that's when Lacey found him. Which is, can I just say, I was so annoyed. To me, it's like a huge part of the story was... Why does Lacey find him yeah. and throw him in a trunk? Exactly. Yeah. And it just hops over that part yeah. of the story Absolutely and they do not touch it. on it in no. the well, final episode. Well, you're right. There is so early Please prove me er, wrong. so yeah, no, no. So early on in the season there there's a there's a uh, Lacey says something he, when he's sitting there smoking and talking to him. He mentions something about when I first met you the story you told me. So he told him so he, when he met him, he told him the story about how he was Henry Deaver and all this stuff. And then I think because he had been having this issue or 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 listening for God or a reason to whatever whatever it was, kind of like Matthew was, and that's why he was out there in the woods. That that's and this again, they don't show this or they don't they don't necessarily say it. But he says he says you told me a story when I found you. And we never find out what that story is, but then we do. We we realize, oh, it's the story that he's actually Henry Deaver and that, you know, he was in the woods and all this stuff, and then he didn't believe him. Why he gets him in the trunk and thinks that he's we the devil know. and all that is kind of is unbeknownst. I, I don't understand. So that. we basically yeah. know that both Henry Deavers, either Andre Holland's Henry Deaver or Bill Skarsgard's Billy De- <laughs> Henry Deaver. They both find themselves in trouble when they try to explain who they are in, yes. uh, in either respective Castle Rocks because they're trusting people that they might know. In Billy the Kid's Castle Rock, it makes more sense to me that if this young, young, young boy shows up, and Matthew even explains in the episode that he was asking, he was yes. and not asking but wishing, and then all of a sudden this boy shows up and says that he's actually Henry Deaver and all, and, and all and of knows stuff. everything about him and knows everything about him. And then he realizes who, who knows everything and, and who gives you what you wish for. And the it's devil. the devil. And but, also Matthew was crazy. Yes. Right. So and Lacey Lacey's was not. not, that's what I don't get. No. And so, Lacey wanted children. Yes. Right. I am so baffled by this. Like I am like getting worked up because I'm just like this whole season. I keep going. There is a missing component with mm-hmm. Dale Lacey. Here. It's too easy. For I'm, them I don't to, get it. To gloss over I that. do not get it. And then also we and we're, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. No, but yeah. I'm just like, I don't understand. No, this, is the a, character. this is a core component because it's still paramount to what's going on in episode nine. Yeah, because they go from episode nine to this. To episode ten, where they just gloss over that. I just it's there's like, a huge section that's there, gone. There, there's an episode. There's an episode, I think, or a, a storyline missing here where we see why Lacey's in those woods. Why he? I, they needed to show him having the same kind of breakdown as Matthew, like in terms of purpose of life, right? And then, and then, and 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 maybe listening or happening to hear the schisma, and then this boy shows up and then in, maybe in some weird way, I don't know. Maybe he thinks God tells him, you know, he says God told him, we know that God told him to do these things, but it's almost not enough. Cause we don't know why he just happened to pick, uh, Billy, the kids diva in the woods. Like, you know what I mean? Like what is the situation where he find found him and why did he, what was off about him that he would kidnap him and put him in the trunk? We don't know that. We don't find out unless he maybe saw what Deaver saw at the end of this episode, which we'll get into later. My obviously. only theory on this is that we know all the craziness that happens to Castle Rock does happen in Andre Holland's universe, whether it's Needful yeah. Things, it's Cujo or the Dead Zone. Right. All these evil things that happen to Castle Rock, especially based on if you look back on 
Lacey's history, he talks about his brother uh-huh. and all the yeah. uh, evil stuff that's happened in the town. So, and the fact that he joins with Pangborn on this, who Pangborn obviously has encountered the stuff with the dark half. Yeah. He's encountered the stuff with evil things. things. Maybe he saw something in the kid in those woods that was like, this is why Castle Rock is the way it is, which it goes in, which goes which, in line with his monologues. It does. Yes. And then but I, why also, <laughs> I also think, and we'll get, we'll get, when we get to the end of this, when Deaver sees the kid as mm-hmm. something else, I think that might be something that they I agree. leaning yeah. towards, but it, again, it's not clear. So, it's, this is a muddy episode. There's a lot of things I liked about it, and there's a lot of things that we're going to obviously hash out. Yeah. But um, Well, yeah. let's move forward. So this episode begins with the kid. It's a flashback. The kid in the cage with Lacey. Mm-hmm. And um, Lacey tells him that he never had kids because... He'd been holding off. Be- yeah. Well, because, because he'd of- had to keep... Keep keep going and taking care of to keep getting those uh, smokes. Yeah, and this is clearly a bookend to the end of the episode, which we'll get to. But I found this scene frustrating. Yeah, because I still felt like I didn't fully understand Dale Lacey. Um, uh, Did you guys also catch that little nod to Lost? No, what was it? (laughs) I didn't really think about it. It's it's super subtle. But when he said when he's talking about um his uh, parking space being painted over with a handicap and oh. old, old man in a wheelchair i didn't even think oh, about that oh wow that's interesting i mean yes it it made sense for the show but it was also like oh i think oh, that's okay. kind of like a little a jab lock. at lock yeah, yeah yeah which i which i like also though but the the episode actually starts off with that courtroom scene with Deaver. Oh, well, that's right. A, well, that's right. like a previously on, on Castle yeah, Rock, but it, but but, but it was very weird. They never really done that, and then no. they didn't set it up like that. Yeah. But it was his monologue about how much doubt are you folks comfortable with? Yeah, which is also huge... brought up in the very last scene. Yeah, Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman doubt. <laughs> God. Uh, well, let's yeah. keep that yeah. in mind yeah. when we get to the ending. Yeah, totally. Uh, we cut to um, Henry in his car and a bunch of. Uh, birds fly into his car and cause him to crash. I actually was doing because I'm I've been kind of obsessed with the way that they've been using the birds, and I had forgotten what kind of birds were in Dark Half that kind of dominate the narrative. Uh, yeah, sparrows. Mm-hmm. Sparrows. Um, I thought they were crows. So it's been years since I've read Dark Half, and I only read it once. But I, I was googling it today, and what I kind of came across was. Um, in European folklore, a sparrow flying into the home is seen as a sign of impending death. Uh, well, that's creepy because yeah. yesterday a bird went right into the window right behind my uh, my desk. Oh, oh well, I think you're, uh, maybe you'll uh, maybe you know the. Well, hey, life is going so great for me right now. Maybe the, um, it, there's a downturn that's going to be. It's happening. all going to cr- come that's crashing down. I'm expecting. Uh, yeah. Sparrows maybe I'll find the kid. I also was reading that sparrows are known to catch souls that were never meant to be and take them to the afterlife. Interesting. So I thought that was interesting, and that's very very relevant to yes. the dark half. So I wonder if that, and I think that could also be very relevant to well, what's the dualism and the dark half exactly yeah yeah the, the that idea of dual like two people being or like one personality with two different um mm-hmm. halves is yeah. very interesting and i guess that's like a really neat uh illusion that castle rock adopted in a very subtle and sort of a, a clever way Absolutely. the way that they were able to draw in sort of the dark half theme so so the sparrows i thought that was really interesting um especially in retrospect the way and then also later when like right before matthew deaver gets pushed off the cliff he sees all the sparrows yeah. like up in the sky and so i thought that was very interesting and i thought it was a neat use of um of king lore in that sense so but uh basically henry blacks out and then he uh dreams of being in the woods again with 
um, Matthew Deaver. And it's a, and this just, these scenes have all felt very repetitive to me. Yes. Um, it's just them walking through the woods and his dad ranting and saying that, you know, and him talking about, uh, that, what does he say? He says, well, this, um, this time he, he, he says, he quotes Romans six, two, three. Yeah. Which comes he, up a lot. Yeah. yeah. And he basically confirms that the, when he comes back, he's going to kill, kill Ruth. Yeah. She's um, left me no choice. He yeah, says. because she and he knows that he's been stepping out with Pangborn, or she's been stepping out with Pangborn, and then and we obviously slowly realize that this is why young Henry Deaver uh, pushes him off the cliff. Yeah, and so to protect his mother, right? And uh, and this is something we did not know before, correct? We didn't. We we, we knew that we he knew something happened. We didn't know Andre Hans Deaver did not remember if he did hurt him or what or why or how he was found at the bottom of the cliff. So this was a confirmation that he did in fact push him and he's just forgotten. This. Man, it's like, I almost felt like because we've been revisiting and circling around this shit so much, I genuinely felt like, didn't we already know that? Yeah. Which is like, we didn't, but I think that speaks to some of my issues with the season. Yeah. Um, but, and Molly's the one who eventually did kill him. Because she smothered right. well, him. Well, because she, she, gets, the, she pulled yeah. the tube out. It pulled the and, tube and, out. And we know yeah, why that he's in that bed. Yeah. You know? Yes. Now we know why he was he was hospitalized and taken in. I in just the feel bed like, man, they held off on that info way too long. Well, well exactly. Because why wouldn't you it know? It wasn't. That? I guess to me, it wasn't as much of a huge mystery. At I mean, that, we all at that knew point, that he You know did what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think seeing the sparrows, and I think the reason they held off is because it also explains because right after that is when Henry goes into the thinny. He hears, yeah. he hears the sound so much and then he disappears right after that, which is also another reason why he doesn't really remember doing that or anything like that. Um, but in, for a show that seems so built on revelations and this, I don't think this is getting too far because this is a big one. I don't think, I, I don't feel that was a huge revelation. No, not at all. Well, not given everything that this, this I genuinely this felt like I'd seen it before. To. I agree. Well, I, and I, I I do agree with you guys on that in that sense, but I'm I'm looking at it from someone that's never read Stephen King and watching the show and doesn't know what thinnies are or any of this stuff, and mm-hmm. so for them it might be a revelation. Do you know what I mean? Sure. See the thing um, is, but but that's just I mean again we have been talking about this and we've been like theorizing and all this stuff forever. I mean I think I, God I almost mentioned I thought that they were gonna jump off into a thinny like five episodes ago. Or something. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, I, well I, I feel like the big revelation was episode yeah. nine. I d- uh, yeah yeah you know and that yeah. this was just kind of like a cleanup of sorts you know like the the cleanup cl- crew came in which happens a lot in seasons you know the penultimate episode is the big one yeah but and then you get the cleanup but there's I, still so much I was agree. unanswered yeah, yeah no all right well let's continue yeah let's keep talking um we also see sissy on the I'm like, bridge i'm like already getting worked up i know we'll we'll get there <laughs> well we're we, passionate about we it. see yeah. sissy on the bridge again uh molly comes and talks to her and and uh sissy makes um, a reference to different realities, the idea that she's been through this before. Which we know. And, yeah, which we know. And which, I mean, man, Ruth felt fucking adrift in this episode. Yep. But we'll get there. Um, and she says, so, and Molly says something, and then Ruth is basically like, oh, you've never said that before. Right. And she so, tells her about the possible future with Alan, yeah. like surviving and leaving Matthew. And then she, that that is what offsets her from possibly jumping, I guess. And maybe that's like she gets to die peacefully. I mean, maybe because she does that. I don't well, know. Well, I. I noticed something later in the that? episode, and I, and I'll tell you. When okay, we get there, cool, yeah. cool, cool. We'll get there. So yeah, let's move there, on. There is a specific science fiction film that that reminds me of. If and and, and I want to say maybe Looper or 
um in terms of what of that idea of acknowledging that there's an alternate universe that is that you're actually happier in oh welcome to all time travel oh movies, donnie you know? darko yeah. well donnie darko for sure donnie darko yeah. is the movie yeah. i kept yeah. coming back to yeah. that and cl- uh sliding doors yes uh yes. weirdly mm-hmm. uh we'll, we'll talk about that later with gwyneth paltrow yeah I never saw it. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> but I like, know exactly. There's actually about. some really, really strong allusions um, huh. to that. And I don't think pur- purposeful, but thematically, even like some of with Twin Peaks too. Yeah, definitely Twin Peaks. I was thinking about that. Um, anyway, but anyways, uh, let's also. T- it, it's such a scattered episode. Uh, let's talk about the warden. Uh, warden Am Cusack uh, finds a doll, like or not doll, but like the carved well, figure. Prior to that, we find out that Shawshank Prison, an institution of right. 100 years, right. is being closed down. Finally. Oh, due to all the officer deaths. Yeah. Uh, and for the fact that they let go of this <laughs> inmate that has caused havoc on the town yeah. and all this other stuff. So they actually are closing down the prison. She knows her career is done. Yeah. At this point. Well, that's funny because if we're thinking of, and and I'm just throwing this out there now, is that if we're thinking of the kid as, is he good, is he bad? This is a, this is a awful 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 place and it's finally closing yes that's good so i looked at it kind of the second time i watched it i was like i was like so yeah i mean he caused he might have been the cause of all these officer deaths but in the long run like shawshank's being shut down finally yeah but all these cops died were they bad? Uh, you know what? The great, well, let's, the greater, let's talk about the Black greater Klansman. good. And yes, they no. are bad. Because a shitload they more are cops bad. die later this episode. But, but they are bad because we know that they were like awful to the inmates. Not, you know, and yeah, it's a corrupt sure, system. Sure. So, I think part of me was like when I watched it the second time, I was like, okay, well, I think there's a, there's like a flip side to all these coins, and uh, and maybe this could be seen like as a greater good situation. <laughs> so, and I also thought about like when does when do these things happen? We don't really know. Like Juniper Hill practically burns down. Juniper Hill's not supposed to be a great place either. No, no. You know, especially in it. So I don't know. So it's like kind maybe. Of so he's displaced and he's causing these things. But is there a greater plan behind? I don't know. So I was look. I looked. I'm just playing devil's advocate. But no, that's no. how I saw that. Keep I, being the devil. No, I, you're like you're Billy the oh, Kid. You're Billy, Billy the, the Kid here in the room. Uh, <laughs> I would don't say, stick uh, around too long. Uh, you might kill each other. <laughs> I'd say uh, you could almost make a you know parallel between uh, Billy the Kid and uh, Kylo Ren in The Last Jedi. He's trying to burn down the past. He's trying to get rid of it, kill it if it needs to. Get um, out of here. Love Last Jedi. I, hey, look, I, I love the four uh, the four different movies. I love. Uh, no, I, I'm I'm a fan. Of, I'm a fan of the Last <laughs> Jedi. Fan of big fan uh, of the bloated I'm, Ryan I'm Johnson. A, oh my god! I, I, what, I love Ryan what are Johnson. we doing? Yeah, anyway. uh, hey, you know what? On. You just you just touted Looper, and now you're tashing another love, movie. Of his. Love Looper. It's the same. You only director. like Looper because JGL's in it. I love Joko Love, but. I also think that Looper's a tight film, whereas Last Jedi is like they're like, well, we could end here, yeah, but let's well, add another fifty minutes. That's I like, podcast um, I like Last Jedi. Yeah, it was I really, it was a great time. Let's um, move on. Let's Wendell, uh, who was in Jerusalem's lot last time we saw him, uh, does catch another bus. He doesn't walk entirely. I don't. I, I don't saw, know. We saw but him get off just, a bus, right? No, he. We saw it's only the, three saw, miles. It's not a long. No, it wasn't walk. three miles. It was thirty-four uh, miles. Oh, I thought you said it was three. No, it's like thirty-four miles. I'm almost positive we see him get off a bus in the previously on Castle Rock. We see him. Oh. Well, maybe that's what I saw. And he's wandering through the woods. Maybe so he hitched like, back to a certain extent. Yeah, maybe. Well, he's well, back. He's he, in the woods. Maybe Mark Petrie gave him a ride over to uh, Castle <laughs> well, Rock. Where are you going how, there, boy? Regardless of how he got back, he explains at the at the police station that he heard the, the sound mm-hmm. in also, the woods and had to go find it. He stumbles across Rory Culkin and cops with Odin's body yeah. Yeah. in the woods. And then so he goes back with the cops and then Henry comes to pick him up. Which and, is kind of creepy, that scene, because... Willie seems to, uh, he sees him. Yeah. Willie sees Wendell, WW. 
Uh, and he makes like a slight little face as if like he was like almost like I think there's an understanding that he did. The only reason why he would be out there is that no, I think the only reason he, he thought Wendell might be out there is that he actually he heard the same sound. Yeah. No. Well, he didn't get his ears because well, he guess what? We because never he find doesn't out try to pin it on Wendell. He wastes that character. Well, well, you're right, but he doesn't try to pin it on Wendell. He tries to pin it on Henry almost to an extent. Yeah. Because he because the police officer. Uh, the main detective who she was in another show and it's killing I know me. it's been killing me the entire time that I but can't she, remember who she she is. basically is like oh well there was an eyewitness and he says that you had a he didn't he didn't implicate Deaver but he did say that Deaver had a, a uh, an argument with Branch mm-hmm. and I think that why why is he doing that well here's the thing we never ex- they never explained how Branch and why Branch had a had the poker in his eye and if we're supposed to believe that the kid was going out in the woods and trying to find the schisma, maybe his influence caused Colkin's character to kill Branch. This is just it's too, co- too again. They don't explain King would it. Never do this. In his they don't no. explain it, and it is it is again. This is bad I, robot JJ Abrams. It, it really is. It is a little convoluted. I agree with you, and they don't. The devil. Ex- they don't explain that. Be the devil. So, no, <laughs> no. Devil I agree. With, no, I agree with you. I agree. <laughs> I think the Colkin character and the Branch character. I, it was a super easy fix. All they had to show was the kid wandering in the woods near where they were, and then that influence had Culkin kill Branch. Or Branch tried to put out Culkin's ears, and he got like frightened at the last second, and then ended and up killed killing Branch. Which have been fine. It's such an easy fix, and the fact that they left it like like up to whatever we want to believe is is confusing. Uh, it just, the characters again, it goes themselves right back, are confusing. Yes, it goes right back into the fucking bad robot quality. Yeah, of just it's. Better if we leave it out in the open and invade. No. It's like, you know what? Ambiguity is do- great, but this yeah. isn't good ambiguity. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, because it's frustrating. Yes. Like, there's like there's two very clear distinctions when we're talking about ambiguity. There is intriguing ambiguity, mm-hmm. which is what David Lynch does so well. Absolutely. And there is frustrating ambiguity, which is what, I don't know, I'm trying to think of another, I guess all the David Lost. Lynch imitators. Or Lost. Yes. yes. Lost is, I love Lost as a series, but so much of it. Uh, is frustratingly ambiguous, and it reminds me of like the Adab or um, I called him Adabisi because of Oz, uh, Mr. Echo, nice. uh, Mr. Echo's storyline, and I know that it was cut short because the actor wanted to leave, but like his whole storyline on Lost is so fucking obtuse and like obfuscated and makes no sense. Um, and but then is is like all these disparate dots like are strained mm-hmm. to come together to try to make some sense of his character, and I feel like that's what's going on in a lot of this episode. Yes, and it's driving me crazy because I'm just kind of like like King never does this kind of shit. And it's not that, you know, it's not that we need to be like Mac, you were saying this before we recorded. This isn't King. This is two guys using King as a foothold to tell their own story. Yeah. And, and so we shouldn't hold them to that same standard as like what King does. But it is just really frustrating because there, I think what's so satisfying about King, like I was thinking about um, and I was talking about this, I think, on episode eight. But it's like, you know, I was so frustrated in episode eight because I felt like we were introducing plot lines, like especially the Milos storyline. That's <laughs> the Milos. Milos. That should have popped oh, up yeah, like three. Ep- yeah. yeah. Like that should have popped up at least to me like three episodes earlier that mm-hmm. should have unfolded um, and they were happening so late and I was like I was like you know in a King book episode eight is kind of about that time when we enter that really thrilling mode of yes. King where suddenly like like an it like uh, the book of Chud like that whole section is like oh or, in, gosh, yeah. or in Needful Things like once you know everyone starts converging and all the mm-hmm. all the under the dome yeah or, or Salem's, the dome, lot, Salem's or lot literally every book that involves an ensemble character he is amazing at connecting yeah, dots. Yeah, it's like it's like suddenly it all starts coming together, it all starts converging and coalescing and it's so fucking great and it's so exciting and then I still felt like as we were entering into that third act of this 
of this series, it was like everything was still disparate. New things were being introduced. And people are being marginalized. People are being marginalized. We're losing character threads. And it's like, especially with, and that's why, and that's why I just get annoyed because I remember I felt like the first four or five episodes, I like them, but they were so glacially paced. Whereas I felt like in the latter half of the season, the pacing was still kind of glacial, but the plotting became really haphazard. But here's the thing. That would have been fine if things actually fucking happen in this yeah. episode. And yeah. it doesn't. We literally well, have but- long patient scenes where it's just more of characters just wandering around or doing the same exact things. Like we know that we know it's, 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 it's what I had a, a frustration with, with the fact that look, this is clearly from the point of view of an omniscient narrator, Yeah, because that's why we're able to see the different points of views. We're able to hop into different people's minds. We're able to get different narrators here and there and the other universe and other universe. Yeah. So why do we need to spend so much time watching characters make discoveries that we already know. Right. And that is what killed, I think, the second half of this series. Yeah. Because that whole sequence involving um, the Lacey house with uh, Henry Deaver, Andre Holland's Henry Deaver, mm-hmm. felt incredibly superfluous when it was really mm-hmm. revelatory for that character. But we already knew all these things. Yeah. So it just felt very frustrating. And the same thing is happening here. Because honestly, yes, you you know, we do read King and all, and we know the Finney, but specifically having to do with Henry killing his father was already insinuated four or five episodes by Molly when he mentioned, or two or three episodes by Molly. So that why do we need to have that whole confirmation? And that's literally the only revelation that we really get when the kid and Henry actually get to the cliff by the end of the thing. It's, 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 it's so frustrating because it's so weird. Like like that was supposed to be the, the big takeaway. And I'm just kind of like, what? Like I thought this whole episode felt like an afterthought. It was a total afterthought. Devil a smack. We also, no, no, no. And we also know that, um, you know, having watched the ninth episode, we know that the Thinny was the reason why Henry disappeared. Yeah. So we can just assume that that's what happened to Andre Holland's Deaver. Yeah. When he was a kid. Yeah. So that that's weird. And I also think a missed opportunity here was the forest fire that never yes. came into play. Yeah. So Absolutely. here's the thing. So I thought, so at the end of episode, the last episode, I think, um, Billy the Kid standing at the window with Molly and there's there's snow falling. It's mm-hmm. snow. I thought it was ash and I was like, oh, the next episode is going to deal with like the fire like yeah. coming close. And then they they never did anything no. with that. And I don't know. And, I don't know. God, God, for all I know, it could have been like budgetary reasons, but it just seemed like that's not the case. No. Um, and then so it was in fact snow because it is snowing like hardcore the next day or whatever. So that seemed really like a very weird thing to introduce i mean i guess they didn't i mean they they kind of kept bringing it up so it felt like that was really going to come into play and it didn't no um but i agree with you guys i i I think that it it's really all over the place i mean you know we're nitpicking it because that's our job but i think that these are valid oh yeah you know what i mean like it is very convoluted and i agree with you mike i think that there is a lot of meandering that doesn't need to be happening because we already we already know these things and um, like or in, even in episode in episode uh, eight when uh, Deaver's like realizing all this stuff that could have been done really quickly yes because we didn't need to see it happen because we already knew it as an yeah. audience so um, yeah and then um, just just so we don't go um, cover it because we we kind of moved just past it is. Um, the warden Randall's yeah. favorite sequence. Oh. So the warden, we can save most of this for misery. I think. Yeah. But oh, that's the true. warden shows. I'll just say the warden yeah. shows up to Molly's house and says, do you know where, where Billy, the kid is? He, I remember he came here and she calls him the devil 
wanders into the street and gets run over by a police fucking van. And it's like the in stu- Final Destination. It's the something. stupidest shit I've ever seen. And we'll talk about it in misery. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you guys really liked it. No, no, well, no, no, no that's fine. We can leave it. So let's, 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 let's wrap up the, the narrative elements well, of this. Well, let's just say, sure. so back in the police station, Rory Culkin is for some reason ratting out Henry Deaver, saying that he is the, like, he's at least a person of interest in the death of Odin. So right. Henry is locked up in a prison. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I got to no, cut in here. Yeah, jump in. Huge question for you. Mm-hmm. In the opening sequences, when we see Henry at the crime scene from the prior episode where the professor gets the axe in the head by Jackie, yep. he gets on his phone, and due to something that he hears on the phone or messages he or cr- something, is when he gets in the car and then he gets hit, he, yeah. the sparrows drive him into the thing and he, he like blacks out. Was it a who left him a message? Was it Molly leaving a message about his mother or something? Or like was that that was no, later it on? Was, no, it was. The, so what was the, the call? It wasn't about. It was the uh, reverend. It wasn't about Wendell because Wendell hadn't. Oh, no, you're no, right. It was the it reverend. Was the reverend the re- talking she, about his Ruth mother. Ruth came okay, to that's the church right, that's right. looking for. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I just needed that clarified for me because I was like, what? Why did he leave? It, they just never explained it. But yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So Henry's locked up. Um, the kid He's basically. Taken. Well, he wanted to meet with Henry, and mm-hmm. I believe Molly tells him. Yeah, she he, ends up telling the him. The kid says that he believes there is a door from one world to the other, and he needs to convince Henry to go with him. So he wants to meet Henry in the church, or the cemetery. Uh, Harmony Hill. Harmony yeah. Hill Harmony Cemetery. Hill, which, um, King's Dominion right there. We'll get there. Um, so he wants to meet there, but Henry can't because he's in jail. So when the kid is at the cemetery the cops show up they arrest him they bring him to jail and then the two are in opposing jail cells and we find out that the wow the the billy the kid has a powers that can cause people to go crazy well, I well did, that's that's jumping ahead a little but i do think that i i, I did like them both being uh caged again I together yeah. i kind of like that yeah, me too um, it's, it's one of the and most that conversation scenes. is interesting and and this is where i think randall and i disconnect um yeah. not not on on what we saw, we obviously watched the same thing, but in terms of our interpretations. But I think the main reason they did everything that they were doing in this episode was to, and all the time we spend with Andre Holland is to is to convince us why Andre Holland makes the decision he does at the end of this mm-hmm. of the episode. So we see Andre Holland see the kid in multiple and varying negative lights throughout yes. the episode, even though we know that's not really the case. But they show him seeing him at every turn being responsible for these atrocities and then also reminding him of his father and stuff. So when they're in prison, I think there's an interesting exchange that I'm still trying to wrap my head around a little bit where Henry says to the kid, he goes, who are you? And the kid says, same as you, a victim. And Henry disagrees with that. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. But I just it still feels like cryptic conversations that aren't productive. I felt that Andre Holland's character is the most stubborn, like Stephen King, quote unquote, Stephen King protagonist, if you yeah. will. 
ever. <laughs> it might cr- like, like I mean, he's, are king protagonists usually stubborn? I don't I, think that's, so. That's never a trait that I've no. really attributed to them because if there's one thing that I get annoyed by in horror or like I don't know whatever, it's like books. It's when the main character has to be convinced of things yes. over and over again. Um, and yeah. it feels like that dominates the plot. I feel like I was just, I don't know. I was watching Ozark and I'm just like second season, which is pretty good. <laughs> I like it, but I, it, I'm, I'm only a couple in, but yeah, but it's I, like, I enjoy the show. For that show is. is just yeah, so it's, much it's about like, show. like, you know, they're going to do the thing, but there's always <laughs> yeah. the fucking scene where they got to convince them to do it. And yeah, it just yeah. gets so exhausting. Yeah. And it's like, like, you know, it's such a, it's such, it's a mode of storytelling that works on a fundamental, like a, like a, like a toolkit level, but it's just also like. Like, it's redundant. It's redundant. And, and redundant is a word this. that I keep coming back to with this series. Well, with this character. With this character. Well, yeah. And also right right before that he they are put into the jail cell, he also tells Molly right before Molly tells mm-hmm. him about Harmony Hill, he says, Take Wendell to Boston to his mother yeah. and and get out and leave and get away from me. Which sounds familiar. Just throwing that out there. It's like, but that's also been in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. He just put him on a on a bus, right. and it's just it's very frustrating. Well, it's just so, all it's all redundant in that respect, narratively. But then also, w- this guy has problems with everyone. Yeah, he doesn't trust Pangborn. He doesn't trust his own mother. He doesn't trust his own son. He doesn't trust Molly. He doesn't. Tr- I mean, it's just like. Well, the, and I, I mean, I get. I, I mean, get I understand because the, where the disbelief comes from with his father. But Jesus but Christ, the, like, but. And the problem is, I think, is we didn't. I wish we had seen more sequences with with young, young kid Junior. Yeah, having come back and and been just the, yeah the town terrorized him as a kid and yeah. always considered him as as the almost like Billy the Kid, like as the devil of the mm-hmm. town because they thought that he was responsible for his father's death and and that's why he ended up leaving because he was just they they thought he was such an awful person. And so he comes back and so I didn't find it I mean I thought it was merited that he didn't trust anybody. He hated everybody in the town. He didn't like anybody. They were all really shitty to him. It's the cop even too that doesn't even yeah, know him yeah. is giving him shit for like all this stuff that happened when he was in town and people still have questions about him. And then he comes back and everything's bad again. But you're right. I think that I wish he wasn't as stubborn as he was, especially when you have someone, the only person and friend in your, in the town is Molly and like Molly telling him all this stuff um, means nothing. And, 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 and he just like can't wrap his head around it. But again, I think the reason they do that. And I, and I, I don't know if it's, I don't, again, I don't, I don't love it, but I think the reason they continuously were making him very stubborn and making him not, not quite see the light is because it wouldn't make sense to end it the way they ended it. If he Look, did, that's if he fine. Had. But and, I just want to, I, I just yeah. want to thank yeah. you for reminding me that the town terrorized him and hated him yeah, they because did. I well, forgot they about yeah. that. They did. Yeah. I know. And that that's in the early episodes, but, but Molly didn't No, but I'll just say that. Like we never saw him as a kid post abduction post death of Matthew and saw the real impact, nor did we ever really see Matthew Deaver as a paragon of the town who people liked. All we saw was him being crazy. Mm-hmm. And all we saw was him leading Henry through the woods, yelling about shit. This is where I get annoyed because you're bringing up great points, Mac, because you are an attentive viewer and you take notes and you pay attention. <laughs> like it's like, but these things are things that you have gotten from hearing dialogue and from snippets of stuff that has been in the show, but these are not things that they have showed us. They are things that they have told us, yeah. and this is what annoys me. Well, it's just annoying to me because, look, the the biggest part or biggest facet of every Stephen King book 
And again, I'm sorry if I just keep harping on the king thing, but I'm sorry, you're using his source material. So yeah. if you're going to create his aesthetic, hey, we're a king podcast. Is the interpersonal relationships you have with characters and with 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 uh, Andre Holland's Henry Deaver, I never got the sense that he had one fucking relationship with any characters in this entire story. I just felt that he was just flow, free floating around them the entire time. He has this link with Molly, but then doesn't trust her at all. Like you would think that occasionally they had sweet moments. They had sweet moments, but then he, she's literally coming to him and she says, you're not going to help him, are you? Yeah. And he just like turns away. He can't. And, and that's the thing is, and the thing that's frustrating, I think, is the thing that I find most frustrating about a lot of um, reality is he can even faced with all of the evidence, with everything that points to the direction that there is an other world yes. and that there is a supernatural element here. He cannot come to terms with that in his no. head. And he, he, he refuses to believe that because it, it throws so much out of balance. And I think it's mainly, and again, this is because I watch a ton of television and I read and I am thinking on a level at which I'm trying to make sense of this, but the average viewer is not going to do, to do this. So I agree with Randall in the sense that like they needed to show some of these things happening so that people would believe and understand the reasoning why he's doing what he's doing. But I think that he he lost, what, 27 years of his life at, at the same age in a cage and that's why when he came back he couldn't remember it and that the billy the kid says in the prison that like they will come back to you when when he got out he couldn't make sense of it and he, it wasn't until he was in the attic probably looking at the videos and realized like oh and i'm not alive in this world and this is this henry is me basically like mm-hmm. post my death and that was the grave that he took he him sees, to go yeah. see was that that they had buried a deer a deer boy a, a, a him basically and and that that Henry Deaver didn't know that or didn't realize that. And he, that's what he wanted to remind him of at the graveyard. But again, this is it, it's you, they're banking on someone that is is a, like a lost fanatic or like someone that's going <laughs> to go in. No, but someone like me that's going to go in and really, really, really dig into all this stuff and then and make sense of all these things on my own when I don't think that is a hundred percent the best way to go about something like no, this. No, not um, at all. And 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 what? But narratively, like, what is his arc? There is no arc for Andre Holland, Holland's character here. Well, unless I mean, unless it means just he stays in town. I mean, I, I guess it's I guess it's just the sense. I mean, we can, we'll get to that because I have thoughts on that. Yeah. But I'm not disputing you because I I see your point and I agree with you but like let's hold off on that discussion because I feel like that's a whole thing. Okay. Sure. And so well, let's, let's continue just, going yeah. through cuz so, what happens at the jail? So, so they're so in the jail <laughs> because the van, the prison van ran over Warden and Cusack. Uh all the prisoners need to be put in the local jail that were in this van. They the all go being, in one yeah. so they move. Well, it's good that they only had like six prisoners in Shawshank also. <laughs> they move um the kid and uh, Andre Holland in one cell together and then they have all these prisoners in another one and the prisoners they keep calling Bill Skarsgård Nick Cage which I actually thought was kind of funny yeah like I guess because he, he does kind of look like him yeah, yeah and that was a I don't know well, funny it's bit. just the fact that he was in a cage yeah but he also kind of looks like Nick Cage I mean, I that's true like too but like you don't I, think Bill Skarsgård looks no, like Nick Cage I don't think he looks anything like I Nick think Cage. he looks like a younger uh full head of hair Nick Cage <laughs> I think he looks I like director of that. marketing Kevin McMahon uh, from Consequence Media. <laughs> Consequence Media? Yeah, yeah but they, yeah, they're calling him that because he's found in that cage underneath Shawshank for sure. Uh, I'm going to yeah. go with, oh, I guess I didn't even think about that. Yeah, because that's, of that. that's why they were calling but him But he also kind of yeah. looks like Nick Cage. But Nicholas I kind of like 
the actor. I kind of like your. your I literally <laughs> your did not. I literally thought it. they said he, they were making fun no. of him because he looked like Nicolas no, Cage. It's the Cage that factor. I'm, we're gonna sure, get another yeah. bad review on iTunes because that's my. <laughs> well, no, read. I'm. I'm bringing. I'm bringing you. Bringing it to reality, Randall. It's because they call. It's whoever's the writing a one star review on iTunes right now. Please know that Mac is here with the right answer. So they're in the cell together. Um, and then the prisoners keep basically saying that they're gonna um, that they're gonna like turn you out. You know, they're gonna basically have their way. I with found these that really boys. uncomfortable. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it's I guess it's uh, to be expected, and they're both very very handsome men. Um, so I can't wait. You know, I'm sorry, I can't wait to get to the next part. But go ahead. Go yeah. Ahead. So <laughs> basically, because they're so threatening, and I think that uh, the kid wants to get them out of the cell, he basically manipulates. Uh, the prisoners to start attacking each other. Well, and here's the thing. Yeah. With this, so you you're thinking that he is purposely manipulating the situation. Yeah. I think that he's sitting back, knowing that this is what happens. That there is that he is not in control, but that because he is in this world, that th- this is the kind of thing. This this is what's going to happen. And that's why, and this goes back to an episode earlier when he's in the jail cell with like the the Nazi guy. Yeah. The first scene mm-hmm. where he, they group him in there and he tells him, he says, he tells him not to touch him because he, know, he knows that the closer he is, the more influence that, that he has on this guy, it's going to kill this person. Yeah. But I think that he doesn't do anything in the situation because he knows that, in the that probably out of this violence, like th- that might be his way of escaping because this is how he's escaped all these other previous previous situations. But he wants I don't to think, get Henry. He in wants the woods. to get out, but I don't think that he purposely is trying to kill these people. I just think that he knows that something's going to happen, so he takes he sits back and lets it happen so that they can escape. Mm. So that's my take on it. But mm. I, 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 I I see where you're coming from. Mm. But that's my take on it. Uh, so. Anyways, all of we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, absolutely. All of that, all the prisoners start attacking each other. The guards try to intervene, and then all the prisoners kill all the guards. And um, and basically, they're able to get keys. They get out, and they go upstairs. And what do they find? Rory Culkin dying on the ground. And Henry is, like, really worried about him for some reason. I don't know why. Why do you care about this person? You don't even care about Molly. So what do you care about him? It's just like, what... I don't know. And he and Roy Calkin tells him, don't go out there. And then he dies. And it's like, OK, cool. Um, all these cops are dead. Uh, prisoner riot. And I just wrote in all caps in my notes. Why does Henry care about yeah. him? Um, and then Billy and then the kid they go Billy pulls the kid a gun on him, pulls a gun on him, takes him out in the woods. And he keeps saying, I don't want to hurt you, Henry, which is exactly what Henry's dad said. We get we get uh, intercut between. Um, Henry remembering being out in the woods with his dad, pushing his dad off the cliff, and then juxtaposing that with the kid, leading him around with the gun, and eventually he just tackles him, and then the kid, uh, on the ground, looks up at him, and he has this old man demon face for a split second, and then it goes away, and then, blackout. So, really quickly, before we get into that, what I really I do, they, when they're in the prison, they cut to Ruth one more time. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Which I thought was really funny, because Jackie's taking care of her Jackie, for some reason. Jackie... Torrance randomly is there taking care of Ruth Thiever for no fucking reason. They've never had that relationship. They've never explained why why would Jackie be there. They never talk about that. I mean, maybe we're supposed to assume that Molly called Jackie and was like, hey, I'm leaving town with Wendell to take care of Ruth, who is always just, I, I don't know. It seems kind of strange. She literally just like walks up to her bed and is like, okay, good night, Miss, Miss Thiever, leaves. <laughs> and then there is a moment that I did truly like where... 
Ruth leans over, grabs the king uh, yeah. chess piece, Pangborn. and remembers Pangborn, and then she goes to sleep. Now, She's uh, her we'll, we'll get into this. No. <laughs> I, we'll get into this because that's not where she dies. No, it's not. But I thought it was. So that was a moment where I was like okay with, although I didn't like Jackie putting her to bed. I just thought that was weird. <laughs> but I was okay with that last moment. But it, it and it's the last moment we see with her. But it's not technically when she actually dies. But we'll get to that when we get to the graveyard. Cut to one year later. Henry is living in the same house with Wendell. They seem to be having a good life. He's working as a lawyer. Uh, him and Wendell are playing chess together. Things seem to be good. Molly's living in the Florida Keys. She's not too happy. Hey, but she's probably hanging out with Duma Key. Yeah, she probably is hanging no. out with Duma Key. That's she has name. a copy of the book. No, the main character of Duma Key is named Duma oh, Key. Oh, yeah, that's well, right. Well, the whole thing yeah. with the, the monologue that Andre Holland's giving is that, you know, some people get away, and they but they spend the rest of their lives trying to forget. Mm-hmm. So she so got her, she did get this... away, but she will she ever really be truly well, away she's from got a, She's got this old bag as a roommate, so. It's like <laughs> it's her grandmother, yeah. which I love. That was my favorite piece of ADR in the, in the where, she, where you, you, before she walked out, you hear her say, like, see you tomorrow, Grandma. <laughs> Which I loved. But but I, I, I was happy that she got away. Um, um I'm a big I'm, what? I'm also a big Florida guy. Well, she's a she's she, a real estate agent. There's a lot of real estate in Florida. I'm a big Florida guy. Yeah, I grew up in Florida. She she's a real estate agent in Florida. Yeah, there's the a keys. lot of great there's a lot of yeah, great no, stuff. It's down a lot there, of, man. Maybe she's uh, maybe she's hanging out with Sissy Spacek again from uh, Bloodline. Uh, oh, she's in Bloodline. Maybe I heard Bloodline oh, yeah. was uh, capital uh, ma- B uh, bad. Uh, well, first no, the first great. season's great. Mama Rayburn, though, uh, she's excellent on that show. She is really. Sissy Spacek is great yeah, on that show. She's great. Um, Maybe she's down there. She sold uh, the Rayburn estate. But. Ruth is dead. She died about four or five months after the events mm-hmm. of the rest of the season. Buried with uh, Pangborn. Buried with Pangborn. Um, right, right. So yeah, on the graves it says that she died in February. February, so which it, was, about it was four months, months later. After, yeah. yeah, so. I understand what they, I think that I, they understand what they were trying to do. Like we're, this is the last time we're gonna we're gonna see her, so they kind of had that peaceful moment where she's remembering Painborn. So I, I like that. But yeah, I guess. Fine. What's but, the but, point? It's fine. You couldn't. I mean, just ha- go with the Titanic ending. Just have her die. That, that what does it matter? What is? What do you need to have three, four months with? Because I think had she died, then it would have been fine. No, because I think that no, because if she had died, then what I think what reinforces what the the choice that. Andre Holland makes is that things are okay for a little while and that she doesn't die that she lives and then she ends up dying later yeah, on. Yeah, she dies peacefully. I guess. Yes. Yes. No, no, I'm just saying she like, dies peacefully then I, she has I, this no, memory. I know, but but that it, and it would have worked either way, honestly, but I think I know why they I kind of know why they did that. But okay. I, I felt it's just more fat on this storyline. Yeah. But Wendell also Wendell Wendell comes back. It's Christmas. They play chess together, so they, their relationship's good. Um, and we obviously know that, you know, he's staying in Castle Rock, obviously. So, and then we see that the kid is back in the cage in the basement of Shawshank. Henry is the one who is taking care of him. Since it's Christmas, he gives him a cheeseburger and some fries. I'd be, I'd be pretty stoked, especially yeah. if it was from, like, Arby's or something. It reminded me of, uh, of the meal. Checkers would be The good, whole yeah. scene reminded me of uh, In the Stand when Rob Lowe yeah. gives the guys the cheeseburgers. Yes. Yeah, uh, in, Nick. The, in the cell, yeah. and then, and then um, uh, they have a little chat, and it, you know, there's a lot of uh, cryptic dialogue about, you know, they talk about this whole idea of a cage of your own making, 
And then, um, which is true. Yeah, definitely. And King and, uh, there's basically like the kid says to him, he's like, how long are we going to do this? And then he goes, after a while, you forget which side of the bars you're on. That's what Lacey used to say. And we become, uh, oh, that's my own note. Sorry. No, but uh, no, no, he does say that. And then he says, uh, look how things turned out for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the last line. Yeah. So, and that leads us, I think, into a lot of the themes, which we, uh, do you want to discuss them now or do you want to wait until Might as well later? go now. I mean, this is, this is a place to do it. So. Well, and also before that, he says, he does, one of the first things he says to them is, I know you still have doubts, Henry. Mm-hmm. Which, which leads back to that very first scene where they reiterate yeah. how much doubt are you comfortable with. Yeah. And then, and in that scene, Deaver, Andre Holland's Deaver says he would have to have, he would literally have to have God, like, signed, like, like, like from God himself signing gold to to basically like feel comfortable with making the decision to to kill this person to basically say that they were guilty and because he's talking to the jury mm-hmm. so to me this is kind of like it, to me it was kind of like a creepy parallel it was like like it, will he always be in there will he always keep Probably. him in there does he believe that that Lacey or that whoever was right in keeping him there and that this is God saying do this keep him there because the only because he said the only way that he would condemn someone to death or or life in jail I guess in that sense uh is that if it was by God so it's kind of to me it was kind of like creepy it was like kind of like Matthew 1 a little bit at the very end but um but yeah yeah well I think that's an interesting point and it's like but the thing the the key that is missing is why did Lacey do it Yes, no, I agree. Because with you. that's I what's agree. that's what's that's what's causing me to not connect the dots here because Matthew was you know, he had Kid Jr. locked had the up. the will of God on his side. Yeah, and he so was crazy thought. and he was nuts. Why did Lacey lock him up and obsess over the kid? It could be that the will of law and that he felt that he was the self-righteous, just like him and Pangborn. Why? Thought that they were because of well, all the know, evil that had happened in the town. He distilled it to one person. He put it on. He put it on an icon, which is maybe why the kid says we're going to create a monument for Lacey with the car, which never really comes back. But well, and I agree with you, Mike, because in a sense, I think you're right. I agree with Randall in the sense that they. They needed to show they of all the flashbacks that they could show. They needed to show why Lacey kidnapped him slash put mm-hmm. him in the car. They built up Lacey's story in terms of all these horrific things, like his brother jumping off the roof of the, the school, mm-hmm. all of these things, and all this evil in the town. And there's a reason for it. But we needed to see him witness the kid doing something accidentally or whatever it was. To to we needed to see why. The kid was the person that he picked. What they could have done, do you know what I mean? Is just because they didn't do that. They just need all they needed to do was to go back, and it could be just like signs, M Night Shyamalan signs, where you just keep seeing that one flashback, and they they finally expand on it, and you know what's going on. They could have just gone right back to that snowy night between Pangborn and Lacey, and you actually have dialogue. Between yes, them, and that would have been enough. That's and all. They, I that's all you needed, need, man. That's oh, all you he, here's something. Here's here's the scene that's missing that could have fixed this. And I, I, oh, I'm such a great person and writer. And oh, hey, Lawrence Kasdan no, over here. But I'm just saying, <laughs> all they all, the scene that's missing here is Lacey coming across uh, young Andre Deaver, kid junior, Andre and, Deaver. and and Pangborn in the woods. And the kid shows up claiming he's Henry Deaver and trying to get Henry, young Henry, to get him to go back. And in protecting young Henry from their world, they think this Henry's 
crazy nuts and all this stuff. Yeah. And then they, that's why they put him in the prison. And then after time, weird you know, stuff happens. Well, the problem with that is why put him in this prison underneath Shawshank? What is so unnerving and weird and out of place that they felt they needed to do that? right away like why wasn't he put through the regular process of being in jail and then realizing slowly that this person has no history here we have no prints there must have been something very revelatory something had to have happened and that's the thing that we missed that little bit of information why Lacey put him in the trunk and I wish I just wish we had seen that I just wish we had seen between him and Pangborn and he would explain it all to him and then Pangborn who is a man that has witnessed all these crazy things. You could even had some fun King's Dominion. He's just like, he's like, you know, but he we even know references Leland Gunn. And you know, yeah, they had a talk and he understood. They looked at it and they said, okay, I agree with you because I understand what you're going through. Because Pangborn, Pangborn says to the warden, this. he says to the warden, don't let him out of the yes. cage. Or like, don't let him so out. So Pangborn knows. What does he know? Yes. What does he know? Well, that's the thing is, is that there's a, there's a, we talked about this a long time ago is that there's clearly a history with Lacey that when he comes across Lacey and he pulls him over, and then Lacey, when he finds the body in the trunk, Lacey tells him that it's the devil. And then Pangborn, because he's literally had a dealing with the yeah. devil, believes him. Mm-hmm. And then he makes that call and lets him take the boy away. But you think he'd be like, the I'm the devil is, expert. The problem Let is... Let me look at this. <laughs> right. But the problem is, is that we don't ever see the relationship between him and Lacey or why Lacey does what he does. Mm-hmm. To convince Pangborn that yes, that this is that maybe this is the devil and you should lock him up. There's no incident that they don't describe an incident about the kid. Like if the kid had been found by Lacey accidentally, like over someone that was dead, and Lacey sees it, and then Lacey has his vision from God, very much like uh, frailty. Well, that's all I thought was frailty yeah, with this movie. But, but the problem, the is, idea is of that taking ownership of this. Curse. I think we needed to see, and I was waiting for it this whole episode. I think we needed to see Lacey come a, come upon the kid in a way, and then see some kind of vision. Or uh, my thought was with the the sequence where um, Andre Holland's Deaver sees Billy the Kid as that old the old man, the White Walker. Um, but my thing, what my <laughs> it's literally my, what it is that my thing with that is that I think that maybe like again, I'm reaching here to make this make sense. But I think that maybe Lacey saw that same thing from the kid and just thought, this is the devil. But why? But we know. <laughs> but but the, here's the thing. This is the problem I have with the where it, it all comes down to perspective with this, this series, yeah. which is something that yeah, the, it, it has not been able to wrestle with. It is told from an omniscient point of view, even though it's not almost because you keep going through different narrators that keep cycling through different narrations. So you have multiple narrators that are all under this umbrella of a bigger orator, orator which is, is very king. everything, which that's is very king, king and yeah. that's fine. The problem with that in the, in the end is that you have these things that are thrown there that, that just d- don't make any fucking sense. Like, like who is the like that that whole like sequence the old man or whatever the 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 demon thing at the end it's just like it just felt so tacked on like it doesn't there's just no there's no there's no sort of like we know that the kid is from an alternate reality so why would he all of a sudden have this demon personality well i have some thoughts on that well let's talk about that that's the biggest thing but let's pause because i need to pee all right all right let's talk about this fucking white walker (laughs) okay here's how i read it (laughs) 
Um, go for they it. were juxt. It was to me. It's like they're juxtaposing the whole sequence with the kid uh, with the gun leading Henry in the woods with Henry fighting back against his dad. Mm-hmm. And so I get, and and also the series is very much about loops. It's looping, you know, there's, I mean, which is, you know, a King theme and also very much a bad robot theme. Yeah. This whole idea of um, cycles repeating themselves and things of that nature. And so I guess I saw it as, the kid may have been Henry Deaver, but I mean, if the show is very much also about sort of the evil that we carry, the dual sidedness of humans, um, which is very much a Castle Rock sort of theme, this whole idea that, you know, it can be a small idyllic town, but there's a dark nature to it. And the same goes for everybody who's in that town. I guess for me, it's about like the kid represented the dark side of Henry And that overwhelmed him in the end because he suddenly was threatening Henry. He had a gun to him. He was leading him out into and was going to attack him. And I think that's the reason that Henry uh, Andre Holland chooses to lock him up because he sees that this person is, you know, especially when that the demon face comes out, the White Walker face, the old face. I think that's like the symbol that the evil has won in this part of the person. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's very simplistic. Like, it's do a, you think that that actually happened or that that is what Andre Holland's Deaver like saw in, I think his, it's what he in saw. his mind? So, so I think that they, they're hearing, he's hearing the sound of the, the schisma. Thinny. Yeah. The thinny. And I know I keep saying schisma. I'm, I'm going with it. He keeps see, hearing that. And it's, it's very strong at that moment. So part of me, and again, this is all left to interpretation was like, this is this is another version of like what what could possibly happen to this Henry Deaver like lest he be uh, I mean if he is con- if he is continued to be put in this jail cell like because technically uh, if he's twenty seven years old when we find him and he is uh, put in that jail for another twenty seven years or however old he is when he he's found, you know, and he stays the same age, that technically like eventually if he stays in that jail cell forever and ever and ever, he'll always look that young. But maybe maybe he saw him in what he was gonna look like in his last moments, like how old he actually would be if he was just kept in that jail cell. I like that. Yeah. So but again, I am really reaching for that. You know what I'm saying? Like that is like I think that is a real reach. But that is how I kind of viewed it the second time I watched it. I thought maybe he's seeing a parallel universe version of of Henry um, that has been caged forever. Well, yeah. that's but that's... unfortunately, Andre Hans Deaver is seeing him as this devil, as this thing that he has been convincing himself this entire yeah. like the last few weeks or whatever. And I think that there's, I think that the answer is somewhere in between the way we're reading yeah, it because. Yeah. This whole idea at the end of like uh, the cages we build for ourselves, the cages of our own making, I think that they're, you know, it's maybe drawing some kind of sharp line between uh, the good you and the bad you and the whole idea of like imprisoning the bad you uh, and how and like the kid says that doesn't end well for people. Uh, I'm reaching (laughs) <laughs> but well, I'm I mean, just trying to I'm thinking about the last scene, the idea of 
of all these things about like, oh, you don't know who is caged in the end. Like you, you forget what side of the bars you're on. Right. It's that whole idea like, of being I like in, the idea of what they're yeah, saying. It's, yeah. I think, I think Absolutely. the theme, the, the themes are there in an interesting way, but I just don't, I don't know if the material necessarily supports it. But for me, I'm just like, it, it, it's that whole idea of, I think being consumed or being imprisoned by, uh, maybe the part of you that you think is evil and you are, you know, not allowing it to express itself or whatever. But then the thing is, though, like there was something inherently evil about the kid because yeah. everyone he came in contact and with. And he's controlling that. Yeah. Well, that's the question, because Mac was saying that he doesn't think he's controlling. But that. he but it you literally saw him, him. It radiates off of but him. They, but, but he is literally controlling that sequence not, like going in the prison. He's How not, does he not? Because here's the thing. He that he uses as a way to get but, out of it. No, because he, no, because he he knows that this is going to happen, and it just happens like like the keys fall on the floor. And and I'll tell you right now why. I don't know about that. I'll tell you right now because young kid Junior, when he's in the other world, he is also responsible and viewed as the devil, and also responsible for all these awful things that are happening. And that's why Matthew puts him in the jail cell. No, I get that. That's fine. So but he, you're they say, literally but you'd have show to say him. that he would be in control of killing all those people. No, no, in the it's prison because they are out of time. They're not supposed to be where no, they are. I know are. that. I'm not saying. Look, I'm not. I'm not negating that. I think that that's that is what's happening. I think it's a fabric of time. I'm saying that the kid knows how to harness that, which is why he was able to get out of the prison. Which is why he was able to get the keys from those guards. The way that they film that scene no. is literally so that he is able to get out of that prison cell. Well, it, it, it's like it's like the, the reason that doesn't make sense to me, Mike, is that they show why him staring why, at them. No, why didn't he harness that when they all came to him at the at the at the cemetery when there was no one that could have been hurt except well, for the people trying like to capture Magneto. him? He's not gonna, you know, he's not <laughs> oh, gonna, like, so boom, he just decides boom. to do it at, at like convenient moments. No, like if he can harness it, why didn't he harness why it there and get show away? Him, why do they show him with his eyes literally changing, staring at the 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 the, the prisoners, and he's like almost doing like he, a little smirk? There's nothing you can do. Ah, and, I'm and with so Mike here's on the this thing. one. I, it's, I, it's I the disagree. The way they portray that whole sequence is this, is, think, this is the problem with the episode. They have no, this is this is my theory. <laughs> they get to episode nine. They have this amazing twist. They figure out how to get this to where it's supposed to go. At some point, they go mm, instead of going with like an actual ending that sort of narratively speaks to what we've actually been building towards. Why don't we just throw in this bullshit uh, like thing about the monster face that comes out of nowhere, and then also make this a logical bookend to be this sort of like frailty take on the curse midnight meat train sort of ending where he has to take on this sort of like ominous curse that is the laziest way that you could have ended this story. Man, you, so, so you've first really of all, turned on I have the show. Absolutely. Yeah. Turned. Because now you wait, were I, so enthusiastic. But the, that's the thing is though, I was so enthusiastic early on. And I think the thing is, and I think what we all agree on. I just think on, this is a lazy episode. What we all agree on is that this isn't a horrible episode of television. No, it's not. Uh this we like the show overall. And we'll we'll get to that when we yeah, do our ratings. Yeah. But we're mad because I think this episode really just showed a lack of um, imagination and sort of a real like squandering of the potential of what came it's, before. It's, it, this is what the episode does for me. It's being able to, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor in pop culture I could use for this. I guess the best thing I could think of is something that I kind of uh, hinted at in episode nine, in this last episode that we did, uh, was that it reminds me of the Seattle Seahawks game that happened a couple years ago when they were at the end zone. All they had really had, to, they, they were already up. They were, were going to be fine. All they had to do was just get that touch, and they had like three passes that they could have played. And instead, they did, uh, instead of passing it on to Marshawn Lynch, they tried to do a, a, a long pass, 
and they get an interception and they fuck up the entire game. That literally feels like what they had that, that happened in this episode. So, they we were at the they were at the end zone with this amazing twist that happens in episode but that nine. That twist should not have and, happened so late. See, I don't, in the I don't, game. I don't, I don't, see, I don't really necessarily agree with that because I think that was fine where it was. I think that they needed to build more context. Towards yeah, there was that. more story. But my, that my needed to happen. But my problem with this is that you opened up that world to be so expansive and so interesting and so narratively dense yeah that you went back though you went back to this sort of like core element of this good versus evil that wasn't what you put in episode nine now right so that's my problem so mike so so in to agree with you i think what what should have happened was if you're gonna end it with the ending that we got Mm mm-hmm where we're literally in the last millisecond of that of that frame on the kid, he's kind of smiling, mm-hmm. which I I still gave it past because I was like, well, this is like you know it's horror and it's just kind of like a, yeah. a fun little like well maybe he is and maybe he isn't, but if you're gonna do that, we didn't need episode nine no. where where we actually see that he yep. is good yes. and that he is not exactly. who he says. Had they left it open where had they had it be a situation where over the course of the last three episodes the kid did maybe start talking to Molly, mm-hmm. did start opening up, did start talking about like I'm Henry Deaver, uh, like I'm not from here. This is my life, and this is all this stuff, yeah. and it's all coming from him. So we don't know to trust it or not. Exactly. That at the very end, we we're okay with Andre Hall making that decision because we we are even ourselves as an audience, we still don't know if but he's telling the know. truth. But then, but now that they gave us episode nine, and we know the old man thing doesn't work. No, the old face thing, and the the and again and I I didn't really care but that that little smile at the very end it, it, just it doesn't didn't work because you know that he is he's the tragic character a good guy in he, a sense like, yeah so it's it's, it's I just complicated I it's, do it's not so get convoluted there at the very no, end I don't, I don't get this episode it was it was as if they wrote episode nine after they did yes episode 10. I agree hundred percent with that and it's and it's and I agree Mac it doesn't make it episode nine negates everything about this now yeah. if you took episode nine out and you just went from episode eight. Into this, maybe there would be some because sort of thing. Because here's the thing, thing? is that we, know, because but... well, here's the thing, we, even in our last episode where we were talking about what was maybe going to happen in this episode, one of those outcomes was that Henry, wasn't it, was it not that Henry was, maybe was he's going to keep him in jail or whatever it is? Or, no, I think we, we were, even, we never, we never, came, we never came to that. We just thought someone was going to die. Yeah. Um. So I was genuinely surprised when that happened, Um. but I wish that, the only reason that we never even thought of that as being an ending is because as viewers, they showed us that he is truly the victim. Yeah. So it just doesn't, it just doesn't fall in line with everything that we've seen before. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense in that sense. No, no, it doesn't. (laughs) So I, I I agree with Randall. It's, it's to me, it's like they had most of the writers in the same room and they had a couple writers in different rooms writing mm-hmm. their episode. Yeah. And then it just didn't quite line up or that they did write this episode before in the ninth episode or someone came up with the ninth episode after the fact and thought this would be great. And it is great. It's a great episode. It's a cool idea. But to follow it up and not go down that route more or see more of the schisma at the very end or any of that stuff, it just didn't, it didn't quite work. And I'll just say, 
Episode seven, awesome. Excellent. Incredible episode. Episode nine. I don't see how it connects to the rest of the series. And this is my problem with the very, show Very, very loosely you can in like sort of the broad every, you know, different realities, different times, all the king expanded universe kind of shit. But on a nuts and bolts storytelling level, I do not see how it connects to the series. It doesn't. And it also is telling that the bottle episodes of this series are better than the ones that are actually yep. in the actual narrative. Well, yeah, I I, 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 I think that it's fine. I, I, I just think that the I think some of the other episodes were just mishandled a little bit. And that's why that sticks out more of a sore thumb for, for you, Randall. But I, I didn't that didn't bother me. I didn't mind that being an episode. And I, I mean, didn't it think works. No, I, I didn't. It doesn't bother I, well, me. I'm well, saying I, it's the best episode. Well, yeah, the best but episode. I don't think connect. it. I don't think it doesn't connect. I think that it just didn't. It, they didn't um, use it enough in these last episodes to to make it to worth to make it worth it. It, it only connects in the broadest sense. In the broadest yeah. sense, and it also doesn't help that episode ten negates the two biggest threads of the of the series, which is seven and nine. Seven and nine are the most emotionally compelling yeah. episodes of television in this season, in my opinion. Again. That's opinion, but there's a there's an assuredness to the storytelling in those two episodes that these other ones don't that seem they to lack be sort of bit, they, yeah. they lack that sort of cohesion. And what's unfortunate about episode ten is that a seven gets marginalized because the Ruth character is just absolutely sidelined. Um, I, I I just think that she was absolutely sidelined. Yeah. You get that one sequence with Molly on the bridge, and that's really it. Then episode nine is totally derailed because other than the one sequence that you get of um billy the kid coming to his own grave where, where you see his, his right. the baby when he was a baby they died there is absolutely no connective tissue to the soul that he has in that in that ninth episode he just has to basically kind of re just kind of be relegated to that sort of murky entity that you've been talking about so Mac. He, and that's so, frustrating so, to so me. a way to- Another way I thought this was maybe going to go was it's just that stupid old man face thing. I know. If that wasn't there, it, that would have it would have made things a lot easier for me to like, why stomach. Why his dad? But like, yes, I thought I thought his why dad. Yeah, that's the illusion saw, that they're drawing. I man. thought that if he saw the preacher with the bandaged head yes. like molly saw yes then it would have made sense to me that he 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 thought that he was the devil and and whether or not that was just him seeing that or projecting it on henry and the schisma or whatever because we already knew that he was a victim and that he really wasn't that person but that's what what henry had been led to believe that made that would have made sense but seeing that weird demon face thing just didn't make sense nope. so i thought when they jumped the year head part of me was kind of hoping that we were going to see the other universe yes. a year ahead mm-hmm. and then slowly realize that he never came back. Yeah. Which would have been, and which would have been more creepy. I, I think agree. because we would have seen like this, like happy ending. We could have had Andre Holland's voice still. And then you see like Ruth and Alan and, and you know, together Molly's doing well, but not there anymore. Cause you don't know what happened. Cause mm-hmm. she was, she was, isn't she leaving in that episode when they show her in yeah. the real. So like the, I think that would have been cool to see all that stuff. And then, when we pivot to his monologue where he's like, but maybe you're just, maybe you are a monster and you just don't know it. Or you're, you're, you're and then always you see him in the cage And then you go back to our world where you realize that he didn't get out. He did cage him. He thinks he's like the devil. Much or better ending. And then, so it's like, again, I, I, I didn't mind the end, the ending in that sense. And like, it's the howling man ending basically of that twilight zone episode where it's the man who didn't believe that let the monster mm-hmm. out. 
and then spent the rest of his life trying to put the monster back, yes. back, put so the devil the back in a cage. And and at the very end of that Howling Man episode, which is really creepy and I love it, um, it shows the person, the audience that we've been with the whole time, basically that that's been hearing the story. The man or the woman goes to the door and she picks the cane up off the door, and then the door starts to open a little bit. And it's like, even though we, even though this person presented you with all the evidence to the contrary and all this stuff and warning you, don't let the devil out of this door, the person still opens the door. And I, and so it's the inverse it, of it, it is, it, it is a, obviously that's what they're kind of doing with this, except that they don't show him getting out again. They just show that this person who's, you know, let him out, puts him back in thinking they did the right thing, but they didn't. You're, you're the, the idea of having it be the bandaged preacher is so genius. And it would have actually used that character to such an advantage that it it drives me nuts or that they didn't do just, it. Well, or he sees him as well, his dad. Yes, He's because not even he never saw anymore. the bandage guy. So, but if he had just saw in and a flash that it was it was Matthew, yeah. that would have made more sense to me because because he was just you know again even if it was not real or just in his head, he had been convincing himself the entire episode that this this guy this kid is evil. Mm-hmm. And then yes, you're right, Randall. At the very end, when he's like say, he's even saying things that Matthew was saying. Yes. And we know that that Billy the kid's not doesn't mean it in a malicious way that he really is just trying to get home. Mm-hmm. But I believe that Deaver truly started is just continuously believing that this and then the episode before that, which I didn't really like, eight when he's in the room and he just constantly is being surrounded and reinforced that the presence of this kid is the reason why people are killing each other and doing all these things. And he's becoming Lacey in that sense. But the problem is they introduced that weird demon thing. Yeah. It doesn't make it didn't make sense to and me. All they needed to do was the fact that it just proves that he's just projecting his own uh, his own insecurities, his own evils right. and, onto and, this and, guy, and, which and, is probably what Lacey was doing fine, too. And I think that's what they were trying to say, but unfortunately, it just it didn't it didn't work. Because in, think, in my opinion, think of it like, this way: and this is something we brought I brought up in the last episode. Is that and yeah. this maybe this hits home because my mother was adopted as well, but. I think that's a big part of this that we haven't really brought up is that the fact that you were talking about what would be the literal son of the, the, the Deaver family and that there is a metaphor to be said there that he is caging the reality of what there, there could be, would be son. And he is the son. He is trying to fulfill that sort of, that, that's that really of, interesting. I wish they had pursued that. And that's an interesting <laughs> metaphor that I don't think really I comes see. across. I mean, maybe that, that's but, what they were going for, but it like, the thing is, we have to reach for all of yes. this shit, and it's yes. not. And reaching can be fun, but not when we're reaching this far, yeah. right? So, 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 ultimately, like uh, before we before we move on to the, our our other subcategories and whatnot, I think that I think we're I think you guys are right. I I agree with Randall wholeheartedly. I, it's fun to talk about all this stuff, and I mm-hmm. think that that's why this is probably going to do really well. I think people there's going to be people on both sides that are going to argue it, and it's going to be like the talk of the town in that sense. Which is always good for television talk because you well you would, rather, you would rather <laughs> people, Crew. but seriously you'd rather people be talking about it than forgetting about yeah, it. Yeah, totally. So I think it's a good thing for the show. Unfortunately, I agree with Randall. I think that in order for me to enjoy this episode, I have to reach and do a lot of stuff on my end to come to terms with this episode and with the series that I shouldn't have to do. And that's just coming from you that has been taking exhaustive notes. <laughs> but I'll just say this though, it's like there's there's a lack of confidence here. Yes. Like 
I'm all about ambiguity in storytelling, but there needs to be a, cons- a consistency and a confidence to it. I never felt like this was the kind of show that was going to leave things ambiguous like it did. It didn't seem like that kind of show, especially in King, where ambiguity outside of his short stories is not something that he usually leaves us with. Mm-hmm. And when he does leave us with ambiguity, it's usually in a really compelling way it's where earned. it's like it's more about it's more about like. Uh, what's the future? Like, is exactly. it a good or bad thing yes. rather than uh, questioning and, everything yeah. that came before? Mm-hmm. You know what? Like King is a very straightforward storyteller. He's not here to fuck with us in that no. way. It's like, he leaves that for other people. And like, you know, Lynch is obviously the one who has mastered the art of like, ambiguity. Of, of ambiguity and doing it in a way that is intriguing. Like, like I understand like the idea of prolonging the conversation, but it's like there's good conversations to be had about art where it's like, oh, I have these different. I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know if you think about like the like the first season of Twin Peaks or whatever. It's like who killed Laura Palmer and you leave it ambiguous or whatever, like uh, like like Lynch initially wanted to. But if you think about the end of the first season, like those are fun conversations mm-hmm. to have because you're just like, yeah. oh, man, or even like the end of the second season, which, yeah, like. Twin Peaks second season is 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 a mess is a mess, but, but it ends in a great way where it's just kind of like, oh man, is Dale like is he? Well, what is, does this is, all mean? Yeah, is Dale as opposed is to Dale you, Bob now? Well, you know? yeah. but the thing is, this conversation hasn't been all of us trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. It's trying to actually narratively tell this. Yes, and that's it's not trying good. to make sense of it. Yes. And, and I think the thing that that differs between that stuff and this is that the second season or the third season would deal with those characters again where we would maybe get answers this is not no this is going to go to a totally different story we're n- we don't get to go back to this so we are sitting here trying to narratively make sense of it and make sense of these things that we're seeing and and again we have to we have to reach a little too far mm-hmm. to connect the dots to walk away satisfied with yeah. this with this finale it's just having so, said that yeah, i agree with randall I enjoyed most of the season. Yeah. I'm not, you know, like we're just being, we're being negative and we're being, <laughs> we're being vigilant about this because we did enjoy so much of it. And it, so it's, it's like, you know, I, I just want people to know that we're being passionate about it because we really liked most of it. It's just, it's hard. And you know, so it's like Stephen King fucks up endings too. Yes. Yeah, but King never, he but, doesn't really stick to landings no, ever, but I'll say that his stories <laughs> at least wrap up. Like yeah, we at least yeah. feel a sense of satisfaction because we, we understand where it's been taken and we and he never tricks us i mean that's the thing i don't i'm not i'm I'm saying that lightly this whole idea of being tricked but i get annoyed sometimes when i just feel like i'm being told one story and then in the end um it's not well it's not even being given something else because that can be okay sometimes it's more so when just the mode of storytelling changes i feel like this is a show that sort of um began to embrace ambiguity Mm -hmm. Only at the end. Yes. Like, I, I never... Well... I just never felt like this was the way we were going to end because, I don't know, I mean, like, I mean, just this whole sense of, like, leaving it so ambiguous, it's not what I was prepared for, and it's not what I expected being a King fan, and I guess it's fine. It just, I, I mean, if it was done well, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have these complaints. Yeah. So it just comes down to that, and I mean, for me, the fundamental issues of sort of these, these final episodes... If I'm just going to break it down just for me, it's like 
it's it's uh it's that the first season or the first half of the season was too slow it was too glacially paced i enjoyed it but there wasn't enough storytelling happening so then it all had to sort of unfold on the latter half of the season too many standalone episodes in the final half of the season it really constrained the narrative it really took the breath of it, like the the momentum and the breath out of the narrative and it also um uh raised more questions than it sh- that it, than it answered in the end, which is a very Abrams sort of yeah, thing. Exactly. And I and it's something which that was can, something that we they, it, we kind of feared from the beginning. Yeah, and it can be done well, but um, but it left me unsatisfied in the same way the Lost finale did. And just like the Lost finale, there's a lot I liked about it, but um, but ultimately I'm just a little bit annoyed because I feel like uh, you're not giving me what the show has been preparing me for. I want to be straightforward right here and I'm not jumping to final thoughts or anything, but I didn't really like much about anything in this last episode. Well, and that's something that we can talk about because why don't we move then on that note to our next subcategory, uh, Shining Moments. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. I can remember when I was a little boy. My grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths. She called it shining. And for a long time, I thought it was just the two of us that had the shine to us. Just like you probably thought you was the only one. But there are other folks, though mostly they don't know it or don't believe it. Okay, I'll, okay. I'll start off this one because Since you're, I, you're dour about it. I'm very dour about okay. it. I'll start well, this I off. have I have good things, so go ahead. All right, well, I'll start off from the bottom. <laughs> we'll go from the bottom up to the yeah, top. Let's, just let's like move Drake. upwards. Yeah. My my favorite moment in the entire episode, I would assume, would be when we finally see uh, the kid, Billy the kid, go to the graveyard and he sees his own grave. And I thought that that was easily the most impacting thing that happened in this entire hour. Yeah. Or this entire 52 minute episode. It was, that was a good moment. I have that down too. And I felt incredibly, because at that point, I'm still seeing him as a tragic character, which is what we were sold on in episode nine. That was the twist, and that was where they were taking us narratively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point, I'm still seeing him as almost like the protagonist of the show now. And for him to find this grave where it shows him as this, basically who he is in this in this universe was incredibly tragic and incredibly impacting and for me that's was the real big standout of this episode for sure yeah i we kind of bagged on it a little bit but i thought the sequence where the kid either did or didn't pit all the prison prisoners against each other was really well shot uh, yeah. The sound effects that mm-hmm. they were using, which was kind of like that record skip sort yeah, of. Yeah, sort I like that a lot. Yeah. Like sound was really cool and it 
was genuinely uneasy. Like it, it sort of uh, summoned a bit of dread for me. And that was, you know, for me, like one of the better parts. I of have a question for you. Yeah. In my in that sequence, I found myself actually rooting for Billy the Kid to get out of there and to actually get mm-hmm. to the, the, yeah, the, the same. woods. Yeah. And yeah. I, I still think that he's actually manipulating these things to get it out. I but, he'd be dead wrong. I agree well, with him. <laughs> but if he, let's just say either he is or he isn't, whatever. Did you find yourself, were you rooting for him also? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah like I, I never me turned too. on him. And then suddenly, yeah. that's why I felt. And then we're supposed to. Well, to quote Dark, the Dark Knight, these prisoners, they had their time. They <laughs> oh had my their God. They had their time. <laughs> oh my God. But let me just say I'm that gonna like. i do what you all should have done. But that's why I felt, I felt sort of jerked or I felt jerked around. Like suddenly I felt like I was supposed to be looking at him as the villain. Mm-hmm. And uh, because right. they were juxtaposed. It, it's not even like I totally. The thing is, when you describe Mac the way that uh, you feel about it's a lot of about what what Andre Holland's Henry is projecting yes. onto the kid. That's really compelling. And I think that is good. The thing that sticks in my craw is that the whole sequence was juxtaposed against him and his dad. And his mm-hmm. dad was objectively evil. Yeah. And his yeah. dad was trying to kill his mom and it didn't have good intentions for him either. And it was, it was juxtaposing that whole sequence with him pushing his dad off a cliff. And then, and so I do agree that like, maybe it was doing that to show this is why he would distrust the kid, et cetera, et cetera. But I read it more as like, well, this is, it's a similar situation in that the kid has effectively become the dad. Like he has become, yes. he has become well, violent in the same way as the dad, and, and obsessed, and and uh, yeah. you know has been consumed by the darkness in him. So I, I just like that we're in shining moments of. <laughs> I know, I know, no, I know, no, but, but that's, that speaks that speaks no, that speaks volumes to the episode. I, so personally, if so, I'm pulling moments out of this that I that I actually did really enjoy um, as a, as like a wrap up kind of thing. I uh, Thomas Newman's score, uh, yeah, is yeah. great. It's great. And that that last monologue that Andre Holland gives, I think, is excellent. Yeah, that regardless was of like how it pans out, I think that that monologue's great. I loved seeing Molly get away, even if she's haunted by the the past. I was just like, I was moved by that. I was, I I think when the music starts to swell and kind of you and you get that line about being the monster, or maybe you were always the monster and it's not the place. I love that as well, even if it doesn't make sense at the very end. Um, I thought that. Uh, there was also oh, and then the moment with Ruth when she's remembering Alan, and I think it's just because we get to see that beautiful Scott Glenn I, one yeah. more time. <laughs> that 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 really hit me hard because I think the seventh episode just hit me really hard in that sense. Um, and so I, I I really enjoyed that as well. I think I'm probably missing a couple of things. Again, there was a lot of moments that worked for me really a lot in this episode, and I think that's why it's so frustrating. Is because because there were a lot that didn't quite hit the mark, um, and if I can think of any other really great moments, I'll 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 definitely bring them back up when as we continue. Well, I, would, I would agree that I loved the the Rue sequence with the the callback to episode seven. I just wish it had more resonating moment. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just have her die then. What's no? What, I agree. Yeah, I agree. yeah, but people don't die like that. But that moment, also I mean, that they, moment, they, they, well, they, they, of old age maybe. Yeah, or something, but you yeah, have that yeah. memory you kind of sent <laughs> off. <laughs> I know for sure so. because my grandmother, my, my one of my my grandmother who's suffering from uh, Alzheimer's, she what, actually are you bring real life into this. I'm bringing real life into it. I remember say, walking no, in. I was no, I was visiting I, my grandmother. I was like, oh hey, how you doing? And she's like, well, I'm gonna have this good memory, and I'm checking out. So you know, well, you're thing. wrong. You're, no, no, you're I'm just literally joking. telling no, lies. I, I agree. I agree. I, I 
I think that it's important to note that, like, yeah, that that moment um, honestly did have a lot to, like, I, I connected with that a lot more. Like, my, my grandma also had Alzheimer's and, and dementia at one point, and uh, this is my, my father's mother, and, like, that that whole that's what i think that that's why that episode as 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 um bottled as it was or whatever like i i really connected to that a lot more yeah and i didn't think it was done in a way that was like disrespectful to people that actually no had god it. no because no. i just felt i i they did it so well and i i i don't know i i really liked that so i like that they 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 we got a little bit of that at the very end i agree that they we didn't get enough of ruth in this last episode to make that pay off um and there again there were a lot of things that they needed to wrap up and i think that they just didn't quite know how to do that in a way that was going to work um so in shining in to wrap up shining moments i guess <laughs> i like there was a lot that i did like um and uh and should we talk about well, i guess it seems silly to, to talk about shining moments of the series as a whole until later but, eh, we'll hold off yeah. uh let's I, the car's creeping up the wrought iron gates are creaking it's time to enter into the cemetery what's the bottom of the truth well sometimes that is better the person you put up there ain't the person that comes back it may look like that person but it ain't that person because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all so what do y'all got for the cemetery? I've um, literally got nothing. Nothing. nothing I did not find me. anything in this episode. The, scary. Um, the old man face. No, I'm <laughs> oh, just God. kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I yeah. think the only time I actually felt a little like, ooh, that's creepy, was the moment I realized that Henry was going back to Shawshank to to go to the like I, I didn't quite know what they were going to do and so when they noticed when i realized that he was going back there to take care of henry who he, he ultimately probably had caged there still um I, I that like moment i was there was a twinge of like and i think it's because i my love for the howling man and my love for that story of the no matter what you do no matter how hard you try or to fight against or no matter how people try to convince you of something um, sometimes you can't escape your your fate in that sense, and that you become the thing that you doubted originally. Uh, so I, I that moment I think was a little creepy for me. But but yeah, I agree with you. There wasn't a whole lot of scary moments in this one at all um, because of the ninth episode. Because whenever there was like a yeah. violent thing or a scary thing happening, it's because we were we were on we were on the kid's side and we were rooting for him almost. Mm-hmm. To, to for these these this chaos to happen and for these people that caged him and these these people like the warden getting killed which was ridiculous. but but because of those moments I felt like we were rooting for all that to happen we were like oh these people should get what they deserve because they they're wrong and they're not right and that he needs to get back home so it was hard to find anything really truly scary this episode I guess the scariest thing for me is the idea that the kid has been sitting in this jail cell all year. And then he gets a hamburger and french fries without any ketchup or mustard. I mean, are you kidding me? Well, you don't know like, what's on the hamburger. There's, you don't know there's what's on nothing the hamburger. on the hamburger. <laughs> he probably got a just a bare bones burger for this guy. Well, just like this episode, we're reaching to find out what the condiments were on that hamburger. <laughs> Mike, anyway, I got Mike, nothing scary. You're making this. me miserable, uh, which well. is why it's time to go to Annie Wilkes' cabin. We're going to misery. She she died. She just slipped away. Slipped away. Slipped away. 
Well, I think we had a lot to say about misery in this one, but there's one section. We've already expressed a lot of misery, so we won't dwell too much. But yes, there is one section that we have not discussed much because we all hated it because it's so stupid. It is the stupidest thing that the show has done yet. But wait, are we mentioning that now? Yes. Yes. We are. are, Because this is the most miserable thing. I thought because it wasn't technically part of the episode. No, it's it's part of the episode. This is something else? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the warden. Oh, I'm not talking about just that. I'm talking about... No, I think we should save what you're... I don't know why. It's part of the episode. Mike, let's save it for the cherry on top. Save it for Room 237. Save it for Room 237. But why? It's not... Because that's the future. That's where the series is going. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Because it is room two three seven. Think about it. Oh God! Think about it. All just, right, just, fine. Yeah, I want just know. Let it be known it's here. The icing. It's the icing on the yes, cake. Okay. Let it be known here that this is hands down the most miserable part of the goddamn season. I, I, agree. I agree with you. Okay. <laughs> I just don't think. I technically, as part of the episode, okay. I don't think it counts. Okay. So let's I go to with Randall. With We're the talking warden. about the warden. Yes. Anne Cusack, great actress. Wow. Uh, disappeared. <laughs> disappeared. <laughs> Disappeared in the latter half great of the season. Great actress. Wow. wow. <laughs> if there was a trailer for Ann Cusack, it would say, great actress. Wow. Hyphen. Ran- Randall Coburn. Coburn. The Losers Club. Losers Club. Uh, Rockin' Randall. And so, but her showing up on Molly Strand's door to basically tell her that the kid is the devil and then to literally walk into the street and get run over by a truck is the dumbest shit I've ever seen in it's my so entire dumb. life. I was well, so annoyed by this. There's another thing that I... I didn't quite love was at the very end. There's a there's like an aerial shot of of Castle Rock, and it's like in disarray. There's like fires yeah. going on and stuff, but not the forest fire. There's like explosions yes. and like isolated incidents. And one would think, and and maybe you again, if you're reaching, maybe you're like, okay, well, because the kid's so close to getting out, everything's at its zenith, and things are just kind of going to shit, much like Needful Things, I mm-hmm. guess, at the end of that. But um, yeah, I didn't love that. Uh, in terms of misery, I agree with Randall. I didn't really love that scene. And when she walks out into the road, you're just like, I don't know if it's, we've watched a lot of TV, but they always shoot those scenes in the same way. Yep. And you always know that there's a, yep. going to be a bus. Yeah. And it's like, it's such so, a tired trope. I like when they go against it, when they shoot those scenes and you think and you think you think a bus is coming and it doesn't. I'm like, that's fine because because they, they recognize that that's how those things are shot. But I, I didn't love that. I will say um, that that does happen in real life all the time. It's happened almost to me. It happened recently with my girlfriend where you just you almost step out in the street and then something almost hits you. So well, that that's does because happen. you're morons and you don't look right, both look, ways. Yeah, but look, I, I, I do I'm look not, both ways and I never get hit. But, but again, I, I'm watching this not for reality. I'm watching yeah. this escape. But reality. I agree though. Like I don't know why they can't find a way to <laughs> oh, do oh, that scene here's my, wait, without wait, having wait. to rely on the same angles. Yes. Here's my, my biggest pet peeve and misery with this episode mainly because I really wanted some answers. Where's the shaggy DA? That was gonna say that also. <laughs> God damn it! I was saving that for the end of the episode. As Where a, as is a, as that a shaggy that is, dog? Look, there are three things that are unanswered in this in this series that drive me nuts. One is the fact that they create this uh, fucking uh, Chekhov's gun with the fire and do nothing with it. Yep. Two is that shaggy goddamn DA. <laughs> Where is that dog? Why would you even introduce? They made such a big focus on that so, dog. So here's the thing. Oh, I'd love to know what. Uh, yeah, what's the what, thing? What, Mac? Let's go. Let's go. Let's the go. Thing devil. is, <laughs> you, you, Dustin, you guys blew it. 
The Shaggy DA should have shown up. You know what? I would have loved to see. I would have loved to see the kid turn into the Shaggy DA at the oh. last second. Lacey looks at the dog like he's being hunted. Now again, by it. again, it's Cooge. It's it should have been Cooge. As a as a little as a little nod in the. I mean, I think we we are, we're, we're looking at this as everything is going to come back. So in the very beginning, when they show that to me, it was like, oh, maybe he's going to change his mind. And then he, when he goes off the cliff, I think I liked that. But didn't they show it again yes. one more time? So that's why I thought at some point we're going to get the dog. I don't even care if the dog, if Henry was walking past the dog going into Shawshank at the end, I would have been fine with that. <laughs> I would have been like, mean? oh, it's still around. I but still, I, I just still... thought it was funny. I just, I just, I'm jokingly bringing that up as misery because I, I was like one of the one things that we focused on a lot that we well, never just the really whole... brought back into it. It, it. it also just speaks though to the idea that Lacey's character yeah. was completely forgotten. And, and that's my third point. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the third thing that He's I He's the missing key for yeah. me to this, to unlocking what this, what like the real story is here he's so important and absolutely forgotten well here's the thing i think we're 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 missing an episode i think after 9 we should have gotten isolated uh, a bottle episode with lacy no no, no bottle no, no. episodes I, that I, late shut in up, the shut season. up shut up i think we should have shut gotten up. not not a bottle episode but i think we should have gotten i i think here's the thing for me what would have been really creepy is that in episode 9 we had him. We had Lacey in that other universe, yeah. where they had a good relationship. Yes, maybe. maybe maybe he wasn't the warden, but he knew him and he considered him a close a friend. So that when he sees him in this other world and he is treated the complete opposite, it's even that more sad and creepy. And the thing again, I mentioned this last episode when the when the kid is in the trunk and he sees albeit younger Alan Pangborn, this father figure that saved his mother and that he has a good relationship with closed that trunk yes. on him. There have been so much more impact. Is like so intense and sad. So I, I wish they, I wish we had seen, we needed to see, again, we mentioned this multiple times, but my misery with the series altogether is that we needed to see, they had to give us Lacey. Mm -hmm. There's some reason why he actually picked him and put him in the trunk. It's because the show had to be so beholden to keep in the mystery of unanswerable questions that they wanted to have those questions that are still out there to hook you in. And instead of just leaning on the fact that you have an omniscient narrator and just let it fucking go and just let the narrative speak for itself, you could have had those moments. You could have not had to be like awash in secrecy and have things at an arm's length, which is what Lost did from beginning to end. You, you just let it fucking be there. Just let the story tell itself. Just don't keep putting things away and sh you know setting them aside. And that's what it was doing to the very end of this season. And 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 that's what drove me the big you know that just drove me nuts. And the fact that we don't know what's going on with that Shaggy DA, and we don't know <laughs> we don't. But the, the biggest thing that that still boggles my mind is that they literally spend four to five episodes building up this fire to go nowhere. And yeah, that is I will insane say, to me. And maybe, like, and 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 if we went back and rewatched it, which I'm not going to do anytime soon, but if we went back and rewatched it, um, I don't think that I would be wrong in thinking that they they really did continuously bring that up in ways yes. in ways that shows usually do to introduce that later on. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they didn't ever really use that to me was was a curious decision because I really felt like, especially with the idea we brought this up last episode with the woods being such like the 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 church of Matthew and and this and where the schisma was like isolated to 
that a forest fire would have been the perfect yes. like like ending to this whole thing. You know what I mean? Like this this taking place. So uh, you know, again, we've mentioned a lot of negative things about this episode, and I think misery kind of speaks for itself. Did well, you, you have know anything what made, else? Yeah, you know what made me, me miserable? What? No Tommy knockers. You know what? I'm a big Tommy boy, and I've, I've watched. <laughs> I holy! Smokies. I watched that miniseries. I watched that miniseries when I was a kid, and I and I love Jimmy Smith, and I was a big Alien fan, so I I, I have fond memories of it. It's so and, and, you know what? I'm so glad though is that Tommy Knockers is going to be our first book to kick off the new year. Isn't I'm that excited right? for that. I can't uh, wait. But anyways, yeah. Let's let's move on to a little section we like to call King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. What do we got? Mike, so you were I, texting yeah. us that you had a big one. Well, I saw it when I was in the rewatch. You know, okay. there's a scene when uh, Billy the Kid, Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks goes, for clarifying. Yeah, yeah. Just had to clarify there's that. A lot of Two Billy's hours into the, the episode. Um, he goes to the cemetery mm-hmm. where he sees his grave, but it is Harmony Hill Cemetery. Now, if you recall the book Salem's Lot, which mm-hmm. this show has referenced because uh, Wendell walked by uh, Jerusalem's Lot. Yes. That is where Mike Ryerson digs up the undead Danny Glick in, uh, in, the, in the novel Sam's Lot. See, so, I love that. So, mm-hmm. and this also speaks to what I'm hoping this the um, fabled, not fabled, but the, <laughs> the fabled possible second. Well, fabled in my head in terms of what I want the second season yeah. to be, uh, which would be a Jerusalem's Lot story. Um, like, I just don't know how they do that. Too with bad we're the not going to name get it. of it. If it's just called Jerusalem's Lot, great, but they've kind of married themselves to the castle rock as being the title of the show. But I don't if, know if, if they change it and then it's isolated and it's a new show called Jerusalem's lot, but they promote it as like a, a sister series to, and that's how it that. always be. <laughs> I agree with Randall, but <laughs> I, I, I would love that to be the case, but I, I, that's interesting. I did not pick up on that and I love Salem's lot. So I did so good, good find. Well, that's like one of the scariest um, scenes in the, the I was the really hoping I was really I was looking at those graves and they don't show a whole lot of them no. the, at least the front the front face of them uh, for for Hu- Hubie Mar- Marston's uh, oh to come grave. out to, no just his grave to be there well that's in because uh, they mentioned that in um, cycle, uh, of the cycle of the werewolf and I and I just kind of would have loved that little connection if it was like happened to be next to them or something let's just say that uh, and we're gonna be talking about the shining in a little bit but uh, there's also a nice little reference to the shining in this also oh yeah, yeah. when. Um, young uh, mm-hmm. Andre Holland's character, uh, Kid Jr., t- retraces his steps in yeah. the snow. I did like that little yeah. nod. Yeah, that, that was, was a cool. subtle, I like fun yeah. nod Just like the, to the Danny the previous, when uh, Danny does that. And you know what? That also shows up in Ding Ding, Stanley Kubrick's version mm-hmm. of The Shining. Uh, when the Jack true is, canonical when Jack is, <laughs> with Jack oh, and Stephen boy. King Oh, no, no, no. When Jack is uh, chasing Danny in the maze. Uh, and then obviously when we get to room 237, there's another connected. Oh, it's a really good one. That. It's the best part of the whole but, um, <laughs> uh, and that's a bold face lie. But, uh, I, yeah. Was there any other King's Dominion other than just like the clear, um, cut thinny relation in terms of like, was there anything else that you guys noticed? I didn't, I honestly didn't pick up on anything. I don't have anything in my notes. Uh, there's been a lot, which is great. And the, I mean, the sparrows, of course, show yeah, up again. Yeah, that was all I was going to say. Hey, was global warming, thing. right, man? Hey, 
but uh, character. but I didn't pick up on anything. So if you guys did, if our fans did, please let us know um, because we love talking to you and chatting with you about this stuff. We tried our best to pick everything apart, obviously, but sometimes uh, sometimes we miss little treats, and that's little uh, treats. That's part of uh, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, we miss little sweet treats, and sweet sometimes. Treats. That's uh, and that's the fun of having this podcast because we love interacting with y'all. So let us know if you caught anything that we didn't catch uh, for the whole season. For the whole season, yeah, for yeah. that matter. Yeah, um, please tell us we're dumb. Are we ready? I oh, think we're we ready. Are, I've been jonesing. The door is the door is creaking open. We're in the overlook. Uh, we're oh, uh, what's the name of someone's we? someone's <laughs> writing a new bo- novel in the Overlook Hotel? And we're here. at the center of it because we're going into room two three seven. You're scared of room two three seven, ain't you? Oh, boy. I don't know. Let's just set this up. So all okay, season. Yeah, can we all can we set this up in terms of how we discover yeah, this? Exactly. Because this is. Yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, great. Well, so, I'll just say that. Uh, so I I just want to begin by saying I've spent this entire season ragging mm-hmm. on Jackie Torrance because yeah. in my mind, pointless character Really stupid. I like the actress. Love but, the actress. Uh, but Love Jane Levy. But she's got horrible material, so she's not been doing very good work. And uh, I'll just say that I, I, I'm I, so vindicated mm-hmm. because this character has been proven <laughs> to be literally the worst arm of this show. The, the, this, this, let's just go back also to last episode. Yeah. Justin literally made this joke. And said that wouldn't it be? What doesn't it seem as if Jackie Torrance was like a producer came onto the set or into the writers' room was like, you know, well, you know, guys, wouldn't it be really fun to have like you know a Jack Jackie Torrance in here? <laughs> and 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 he started he proceeded to explain some really like dumb hokey sort of scenarios that Jackie could be in. We all had a good laugh because Justin's a funny guy, yeah. And he came up with a really funny joke that we were all like, "There's no possible fucking way that this show." Which is really indulged in some some ridiculous King's Dominion, um, dubious King's Dominion, that they would do this, but they did. Oh, but they did. Uh, so oh, I'm, but they so, did. So I just watch Sharp Objects on HBO, okay. and I am never one to watch post credit sequences. Me either. But I, after I finished the finale of Sharp Objects, I hit stop, and then I went online, and everybody was talking about the post credit scene. So I went back and I watched it, and then it reminded me that I really shouldn't be skipping the credits anymore because post credit scenes are a thing. And I was reviewing Showtime's Who Is America for AV Club, and I started realizing that I had been missing post credits things oh, wow. in episodes I had reviewed because I had been skipping the the credits. So I started, you know, making sure to watch them. Yeah. So I've been conditioned at this it's a big point. Confession right here, I'll tell you that. I know. So I'm just gonna say that I've been conditioned to uh, start watching the credits because. People People are slipping shit in, yeah, thanks, but there's been, Marvel. but there's been nothing on Castle Rock previously, but I kept it on because I was like, you know, who knows? And so I finished the episode last night and it popped up. I see Jackie Torrance at a laptop in a, in a lodge. It looks like she's in like a lodge. She's in a Colorado something. style, like wintry lodge. Yeah. Writing no. a book. So before no, we discuss she, it though, she's okay, in yeah. a ski lodge. Before no, we discuss no. it though. All right. All yeah, right. Yeah, That's yeah, besides yeah, the point. Yeah. Mac, how did you find it? Okay, so I watched this episode when we received it. I was like, oh, great. We got the final episode. Mm Got to watch it. Watched it. I wasn't sure if I was going to be on this episode, so I didn't take notes. So after that final moment where Bill Skarsgård kind of of faintly smiles and it goes to black and the credits start to roll, 
I turned it off. Ditto. And then I spent about a week like coming to my conclusion about like how I felt about the episode, um, which was mostly positive at the time <laughs> until I met you guys. No. And then <laughs> when I realized I was going to be on the episode, I wanted to give it a rewatch and take some, some, you know, good notes. And I watched it yesterday again. And I was in the middle of taking some notes about that last scene with Bill Skarsgård. And I let the credits roll and this popped up and I, I'm not kidding. I, it was like an out of body experience mm-hmm. where I thought maybe I was dreaming or having a nightmare <laughs> yeah. where I was like, they can't possibly have been doing this. Or maybe the first time I watched it, this wasn't there because I didn't see the credits pop up. I just saw it go to black. So I thought maybe I thought it was over and I turned it off and just missed like the tail end of the episode. But then I realized it was kind of like mid credit sequence when I was, so I was like, thank God, because it wasn't actually part of the episode, but it's still yeah, that was my that was my that was my thing. So wait, so how did you? Mine's very similar. It, I had watched thing? this. I freaked out when we got the episode ten because if you recall in the last episode, I was like freaking. I was like, I'm dying to watch this. Yeah, last episode. me too. I'm just yeah. going. I'm jonesing yeah. for this. So when we finally got it, went home, watched it, got to that ending. It was a little kind of disappointed. I didn't want to say anything to you guys, so I just was like, I watched it. You know, take a look, whatever. But I turned it off at the credits because I was like, again, this whole season we didn't have it. So then, literally like hours before we were recording today. I rewatched it and I got to the end and I had been, you know, messing around with like the, making sure that we had time to get so I can get here and, you know, we can start recording. And I noticed at the end that we had like I had two more minutes. And I was like, that's weird. The credits aren't two minutes. So I like fast forwarded and I jumped ahead like 30 seconds or 10 seconds or whatever. And I see her in the lodge. And I just before I even watched it. I just texted you guys going like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, because this is literally what Justin had joked about. And I was already before even knowing what the scene was, I knew exactly what they were going to do. She's at a laptop and it looks, you know, maybe she's still in Castle Rock or whatever, but it looks as if she's like in this kind of wintry zone. But it looks very jack at the the laptop. I think she's in the second story of the Mellow Tiger. She's in Castle Rock still. Okay. Well, because I, I believe, and, and Randall said this too, the guy that comes up to talk to her during it is he, that's an actor that we've seen on Ozark, and I actually really like him on that show. But I, I part of me felt like we had maybe seen him before at the Mellow Tiger um, serving drinks or whatever. Well, either way, she's yeah. hunched over the, the the laptop just like her uncle Jack Torrance, <laughs> and she's writing a book. And then she, not only that, she's writing about the incident that happened that in episode happened, eight, where yeah. she placed the axe in the the professor's head. And she's loving it. The kid looks over her shoulder, says something like, what's overlooked? And <laughs> which is so on the nose. And then she says something about like family history and all this stuff. And then goes into, you know, and, and this kid walks away at this point. So she seemingly is talking to no one and is talking about how like she's planning this, you know, research trip to go out west, go out west to and, and it. it it's just what are it's, you doing? This, this it to is me, everything we were worried about. This to me, <laughs> that's season two. No, it's not. Yes, it, it is. is not season. two. I don't think it is. And 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 I I will I'll always disagree with you. Even if this is season two, I will. I'll deny it. it. I'll deny <laughs> it. I'm sticking to so there's it. There's ten full episodes that take place at this overlook, and she's in it. You're, we're I'll still, still going to be like, no, it. it's done. If I'm ever on an episode, I'll review it, but I'll say this isn't really happening. So, so Jackie Torrance yeah. ends the season by saying she's going to go west to go to the Overlook Hotel, which I guess means that it's this still is the, the Kubrick version. This is the Kubrick version. The Kubrick universe. Definitive. So you know what? So for all, the, for all, all the definitive. issues, for all the issues we give this season, 
they're they're giving us a finite answer <laughs> to whether or not this is Stephen King's Shining or Kubrick's Shining. So thanks for wrapping up that. We'll see about that when Mike Flanagan's <laughs> Doctor Sleep comes out, which is going to be a direct sequel to Stanley Kubrick's. So just a classic. side note, just a side note. Um, Charlie Tehan, who plays, who is the guy who talks to her during that final sequence, okay, who yeah. I recognize from Ozark because I've been watching Ozark. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's apparently really been in three episodes. So this is the Null Tiger. Yeah, because uh, okay, yeah, the yeah, thing is, yeah, I don't remember so. seeing him at all. But it's probably just because I've been I've been binging season two of Ozark that I recognized him. He's apparently been another. If but I hear the word Ozark again, again, I'm gonna lose my fucking mind. You should watch it. It's not I, bad. I know I did. I like it. But wait but. a minute. Again, they are only in the Mellow Tiger to real, any real extent in the first couple episodes, maybe. And I and I think that's why it wasn't off putting when I saw him because I I kind of was like. Oh yeah, I think he was on this before. So I think that he was maybe in those first couple episodes, and I just forgot. Yeah, and I didn't mention it because honestly, I don't think I remembered him from Ozark. But Ozark just season two just dropped, and rewatching it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's him. You know what I mean? Like, because mm-hmm. in my head, I'd probably forgotten that that's where I saw him when I first watched Castle Rock episodes one and two, or three, uh, for that matter. Um, yeah. So. I thought so then, this was really stupid oh, and kind of very, uh, very the, stupid. the epitome of what I disliked about this character, which is this like bizarrely aggressively winking nod uh, about King stuff. And if that ends up being because the thing is, I don't it's called Castle Rock, but I'm I, I think that with the flexibility of TV shows these days, it's not like, you know, it's like. The they second market season, it as a the second, second season, season can be anything it wants to right. be. It doesn't they, need to take place in Castle Rock. They can market like, it Castle as Rock, a sequel the, to Castle Rock, yeah. but not necessarily. Well, I mean, they can still call it Castle like, Rock. Another because, Stephen King story. Yeah, I, I mean, know. like it's just like Fargo could set another season in another city. Nobody yeah, but it still takes place around Fargo. Yeah, but th- I'm saying they could set it in another city and nobody yeah. would care. Because but if it's called it's, like Castle Rock, The Overlook, it, it's weird because The Overlook is in Colorado. Yeah, But so I'm just saying, I'm just saying, though, it's like nobody would care. Like, it's not like people, it's not like season one was really about Castle Rock. It wasn't. In the end, it really wasn't. I mean, but it, it, it was. kind of is. Yeah. I don't, I disagree The whole thing about the that. town being evil, yeah. the schism I mean, being centrally the, located I mean, yeah. in the woods of Castle know. Rock, I Castle disagree Lake. with that because, like, that's not the story I ended up telling, in my opinion. Well, it was important, but I don't think, I think that what the show posited it as is not like, Every story needs to take place in Castle Rock. I think it's like it's about Castle Rock type towns, like cursed places. Well, I think this. Do, do That's you, what I think they're going to pursue. Do you think that this was like a I think this was just like a goofy fun nod that they thought that would be a, a fun thing, even though we all didn't think it was that. Oh, I'm sure and, people and, will love but, it. Though. But I'm saying like, is, is that do you think it was also kind of like a feeler to see if people were maybe interested in that? But the problem is, is that. Yeah. W- if if Castle Rock didn't exist and they and they said that this was going to be a story that takes place in the Overlook and that it was Jack Torrance's like niece going back there to research what happened, I think we all would have still been really excited about the idea that they were doing something like that. But the fact that this show, the only connective tissue really was Alan Pangborn, and that's like a a, a, a one character, and he was a there side was more of connective it. tissue than Alan. Well, it's Alan I mean, Pangborn, a direct, a direct, a direct, one, ref, a direct character. He's from really Stephen the only King. character. Sparrows. <laughs> yeah, the sparrows. And I guess <laughs> but, you have like, you know, but I'm saying is, is that to, to, to do that and then have all of the other, because I felt uh, to this point, all of the, not except for Jackie Torrance, all the other nods were all very like, if you're king, you mm-hmm. know it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if you're not, you don't need to know it to, to <laughs> like the show. 
Whereas I feel like Jackie Torrance is definitely like you have to know The Shining to get that reference. So the fact that they steeped her so much in that throughout the series and then the 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 tag at the end of this I, episode, I, it's it's a little it was a little it was just too much. Like and that was my problem with the eighth episode when she ends up putting the axe to that guy's head. I just thought this is so irregular and on the nose in terms of Stephen King references. It just didn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. And that's why this this post credit sequence didn't feel right. I like to pretend like I never saw it. Yeah. Um, I hope, almost didn't. I hope this isn't the second season. I think the, 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 the most second ripe second season for this show that is, uh, that is a town that has been not ever revisited except for once kind of it would be Jerusalem's lot. I think that is ripe for the game. So you agree with me that it doesn't need to take place. It in doesn't. Passover. I said, and I said that earlier. I said, I think the second season should be just called Jerusalem's lot. And no, they, they're they, not going to do that though. But, but you they're can't not going to call it the marketing. They're not going to call it Castle Rock Overlook and then have it take place in a totally different state. It doesn't make any sense. They'll just call it Castle. Castle Rock is a pointless title. It's just a title. But no, but it's, it's about, not. It's about cursed cursed in it's that about town. cities. It can it's going to be called Castle Rock. It, yeah, it's, uh, that's what I'm saying. But it, I don't even think it's going to have a subtitle or anything. I think it's literally just going to be called just, because I think that I they think got the still... first season there, but it'll be about <laughs> cursed towns in the realm of king. It could I, be, I, yeah. So, or it goes back in time and has another I, story in Castle Rock. It might, yeah, or forward in time. There's could robots. Could it be Castle Rock colon Jerusalem's lot? <laughs> no, there's no colon. <laughs> there's no colon. So I don't know what they're gonna do. But, Return to um, Salem's lot. Let me just say we've we've <laughs> talked to we talked to both uh, creators of the show. Yeah. And I would love to get them back on to express vehemently that they do not go to the Overlook Hotel. I am now, for this. They look, do not look, need to do that. Everyone it is know, a bad idea. Everyone knows my, my perfect estimation of what is going on with Mike Flanagan's Doctor Sleep, which, again, is going to be a direct sequel to 1980s Stanley Kubrick. It will not. It will be a direct sequel. And we also know it makes a lot of sense, but we also also, have the bet that uh, the viewers or the listeners are now invested in. So Yeah. Well, either way, you're also going to know that I'm giving you the guarantee that the second season is not going to be about is not going to be about the lower. I'm going to give you. I'm not going to guarantee, but I'm going to say that there's a very good chance that the second season will will follow Jane Levy's Jackie Torrance <laughs> as she goes uh, out west to investigate the Overlook Hotel. I have a I have a, I feeling have a that, strong feeling that it's. I think that it's and again it's right for the taking and uh, that they should do Jerusalem's lot. I agree. I think it would be great. I think you I can think go back be... to the seventies. And tell a Castle Rock story that deals with the aftermath of Salem's uh, of Lot the and fire the people coming the, out. The town Ooh, that'd be cool. Uh, so here's a, here's a really interesting thing I think would be really cool is if they did do that, back it, so they, they date it in the 70s, mm-hmm. it still takes place in Castle Rock, yes. but it's all the refugees exactly. from the fire that took down Jerusalem's exactly. Lot. So you have these vampires and things moving into Castle Rock. So there was like... You know, I don't know. A couple years or a year where they were dealing with that incident, mm-hmm. and that was another bad, a bad part of Castle oh. Rock. Then we would have younger versions of some of these characters. We would have, um, you could even have some of these characters from this season, the younger versions, like mm-hmm. Matthew or whoever, yeah. being in the season to some extent. Now, granted, because they're trying to tell a whole wholly different story in the next season, anthology. This is totally like made up bullshit. Well, who knows what it's going to be? But I think that having introduced that Salem's Law is only 30 something miles away 
um, and having that be a story that not a lot of people are really familiar with, to be honest with you. I mean, like there was like that Rob Lowe version of yeah. the series, uh, the movie, the, the, the television movie um, back in the day. <laughs> but that is a that is a property. And even though I'm, I think most people are kind of done with vampire stories in a sense. I think it's kind of time to make vampires scary again and mm-hmm. not like a true blood situation, yeah. like genuinely scary know, and, and subtle. Did that. Oh yeah, really? Because there's a lot of there's a lot at stake in Twilight where they can actually still go out in the sunlight. Oh, you're saying still be a vampire? Uh, was it pun intended with stake? Oh, that is that is actually that was a very Freudian pun. But uh, well, if you like that um, after credit sequence of uh, let us know of Castle Rock, let us know. Don't take offense. Good lord, it was uh, not good. Uh, so let's move on to our final thoughts. Mm-hmm. The is gonna break i'll start um so we're gonna give our rankings for both the episode and the season i'm gonna give this episode two and a half bright red pennywise clown noses out of five um i really i i like the season overall i like what it's doing i'm excited for it despite everything we just said i am excited for it to get a second season because i'm excited what, what it could do but I just feel like the show sort of, um, I don't know, it sort of abandoned some basic storytelling uh, uh, things to kind of focus more on mystery and ambiguity. And I think the biggest thing, I mean, I talked earlier about sort of the, st- I think it was structured poorly. I think it was plotted poorly, at least in the latter half. And I think that, honestly, they really kind of uh, screwed the pooch by letting go of Lacey, like not really digging into his impact and his background within the story. So that really undid it for me. I felt like there were some key things that didn't, you know, I don't need everything to be answered when I watch something, but I need certain things to be answered to enjoy it. So two and a half for the episode and for the season, I'll give it a, I don't know. I'm very generous. I'll give it a three and a half out of five uh, bright red Pennywise clown noses because you know there I did enjoy a lot of it and I think that it's a cool show and I'm I hope that they do more so Mac uh I like this episode more than, than y'all did obviously and um I think that I'm probably going to give it uh three and a quarter Pennywise bright red Pennywise clown Quite noses um th- there was as much as I liked, I think there was just as much as I, I didn't quite like. Um, it's a really grappling thing. I've been been going back and forth all week with it, um, mainly because I did genuinely like mo- the show to the for the most part. There was just a, a few episodes that I thought were weak, and unfortunately, one of those ended up being the final episode. So as a as a whole, I'm gonna give it. Four bright red Pennywise clown noses. And I think that's mainly because the show for me, for the most part, worked. I just think there was a weaker sixth episode and then I didn't like eight at all. And then this one was wonky. But again, I liked it down the middle for the most part. I think in a satisfying way, it doesn't didn't quite clinch or quench what I wanted it to to. But um, I had a lot of fun with the show and... I think I'm excited about yes the second season. I'm excited to see what they what they do and what they bring. And I'm just I'm really happy what that, they do with the overlook. That, I'm just really happy that Stephen King has um, had this resurgence and that we're going to see something like this. Um, uh, so I'm interested in seeing what they do. But yeah, for me, I, I think I, I've had a blast doing this, and I think 
the stronger elements that have stuck with me and especially that seventh episode, I just, I, I, I got to give it a four all around. I had a, I had a really good time, but it, it misses that star because it just kind of lost its way. <laughs> okay, buddy, Mike. This episode, as I mentioned before, the metaphor that I had, this is a Super Bowl. Oh God, forty nine uh, XL IX, which is forty nine, I believe, right? This is the Seahawks and Patriot. Uh, this is the Seahawks and Patriots game for me, and I just felt that this is a total fumble. I thought that they absolutely just derailed everything that they were kind of building towards. Um, I think that. Narratively speaking, even just from a singular episode, it's a mess. Uh, I think that they have some loose threads that are very bothersome, uh, whether it's Ruth, uh, whether it's what they do with Molly, um, all the stuff with Jackie that we see, um, and especially the fact that I don't really ever get any sort of semblance of... uh, I don't care for Andre Holland's like Henry, mm-hmm. Huber, which yeah. is really unfortunate because I really loved what they were doing with him in the beginning. Yeah, I agree. And I and if you recall, I even said, you know, oh, this is going to be Andre Holland's big breakout thing. Yeah. But in the end, I actually thought that Bill Skarsgård. Yeah, he was stood out the more. one that stood out more. And I actually cared more for his character. And I felt that he actually had the true arc. Now, you could someone could sit here and really throw, you know, rotten tomatoes at me and say, well, you know, you're supposed to care for the character at the end and look like what happens to him. It's tragic. But as we've already you know, pointed out, the, sh- the episode is so confused as what they want to do with Billy the Kid that so you can't even get that sort of narrative arc in there as well. So there's no real tragedy for me that I get from this ending. So for me, this episode gets a 1.5. Uh, Whoa. Right way Pennywise clown noses. Wow. I thought this was that's just, a nun rating. This uh, is this is, you know, and. As you know from my ex, uh, my uh, my criticisms of Gerald's game, <laughs> I was gonna say this is kind of a Gerald's game. This is all coming back, baby. This is all coming back. You want to talk about callbacks? I'm a callback king. Wow! And I am telling you right now that this is very similar to Gerald's game for me. You can't land an ending. That's a problem in my book. And wow. for me, well, we the, episode that. nine, yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is this is this <laughs> is literally the same thing that happened with Gerald's yeah. game with me. I loved everything that was leading up to this. I thought that had some some astounding moments. I still stand by my argument in my op-ed that I think that this is one of the smartest uses of a Stephen King uh, property. Sure, uh-huh. yeah, sure. But sure. this episode is just, ugh, it's, it's it's just it's just so disappointing for me. And then, then okay. to, uh, to top on that fucking Jackie Torrance button thing, give me a fucking break. <laughs> But so what did you the season as a whole? Yeah, the season as a whole. What do you think? Episode seven is still one of the strongest hours it's, of television I've of the, seen in years. It is one of the in best years. episodes of television this year. For Yeah, for this least. year and yeah. for a few years, actually, for me. I, I just I love it. And I also really loved what they did with episode nine. The problem is, is that you, you just don't have an ending. And this ending is it's a hard thing for me. It's why I give uh, Gerald's game a lower grade, and that's why I'm going to give this one a lower grade. I'm going three point five for the whole season. All right, all right, all right. So, so three point seven. Did you give it three point five? Yep. So again, we're passionate Stephen King Love lovers. Stephen King, and enough that I spend every week. We we we've been <laughs> we've been really hard. We think we've been really hard, but I think diligently and like level headedly. Uh, about our reasons why th- we didn't love this episode and, and, and how this affects the series as a whole. Um, 
But you know what? There's a lot of garbage on television. There is. And uh, I would suggest that you watch this over a lot of that at the end of the day. I want a Mac I cut. I am excited. What? I want a Mac cut of this final uh, episode. Oh, well, I want your preacher. That'd be easy. You just cut, you just cut episode nine, and it makes a lot more. <laughs> that sense. That actually does. Uh, <laughs> so it, even though I love nine, uh, so yeah, that's very very interesting. You know who I wish we had more of? Aaron Staten from Mad Men as uh, the local preacher. You know, I love that actor, and I did. I like that. I wish there was some scene. I wish they had seen like Ruth come to him and talk to him or whatever. Yeah, it would have been great if we could have just leaned more on the omniscient narrator. But oh boy, oh well. All right, thank you guys so much for listening to our Castle Rock coverage. Please hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter with all of your thoughts, and please follow us on those platforms if you don't already. And please, I'm so sorry we talked about the Mighty Mighty Boston's that one time. And I'm so sorry that we run on tangents about Trump. And uh, I, don't, I'm not, I don't apologize for that. I don't either. Only the Boston's. Though. Oh, God. Uh, so please, please, please leave us a review, a positive one. If you're going to give us a bad review, don't do it because uh, we'll find out. And guess what? We're not going to be very happy about it. <laughs> And, uh, we're not going to be. Uh, we're going to be a little angry. Very happy oh, about it. Brother. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we're going to be back next week with a needful tweets, bag of bones, um, kind of house housekeeping episode mm-hmm. before we launch into our it coverage two weeks from now. Thank you guys so so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it, and we love chatting with you. So uh, until next time, long, long days, days and pleasant, pleasant nights. <laughs> All right. I'm going to be held to the wall here, and I'm going to apologize. This whole season, I have been very insistent that uh, Ruth Deaver is Carrie White. And uh, while that wasn't actually proven in this season, per se, there's a lot of Castle Rock still to come. And uh, I think this theory still holds some weight. It's the stupidest theory. You know what? You guys were supposed you to leave the holds room. Weight? You guys you were think... supposed to leave the room? Wait, wait, wait. You think Sissy Spacek, who's dead at this point, is going to come back as Carrie? Look, there's a lot of Castle Rock still to come. We don't know. Fuck you. I'll tell you right now, you're dead wrong, my friend. You're hey. Dead. Hey, you know what? Much like, much like the, the, the afterthought of the season, the, the, the Jackie Torrance shit. Yeah. This should be excised from this episode as well. No, it's great. <laughs> anyway, agreed. Either way, uh, we'll find out. Uh, see you all soon. <laughs> I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want some. Consequence Podcast Network.